Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Happy Friday morning, everybody. It is time for the Geek Buddies Live! (laughs) Boy, I'm on my second cup of coffee for sure. Thank God. I'm on my second cup of iced tea. Thank you, Starbucks. Thank you, Danger. What's up, Starbucks? All right, we're getting into so many things today. Thank you all so much for joining us live here today. This is going to be very much a Spider-Man-centric episode. We've got a bunch of news topics that we're going to talk about covering Spider-Man and other things involved with Spider-Man. Also going to get into some stuff with The Rock here coming back to do a standalone Fast and Furious movie. We're going to get into that controversial Damon Lindelof Vanity Fair article as well. And we're going to jump in to talk about uh, some of the Tom Cruise news that broke this morning that I don't know if Michael's read about, but I'm going to uh, bring it up and we're going to have fun conversations about it. This and- is what's great about a live show is I get I get news blasts too. I'm like, oh, we're talking about Tom Cruise. <laughs> Tell me more. Let's, let's get into it. <laughs> and then we're also going to have a fun little segment where we rank the Spider-Man movies uh, between us and see where we land on some of these films. And a fun little segment for Pride as we're kicking off Pride here uh, uh, yesterday, starting the Pride Month, but certainly today, first Geek Buddies episode during Pride Month this year. So Michael's got some great uh, uh, suggestions for you all to support Pride Month through uh, watching films and TV shows. So a lot to get into here, but let's introduce ourselves. I am the outlaw John Roker, writer, producer, and host here on the Geek Buddies. I am Michael Vogel. I'm a writer and producer of animated TV shows and movies. And you can currently see my work, since Shannon is not here to say it, on Netflix or YouTube, where you can check out Strawberry Shortcake, Barry and the Big City Seasons 1 and 2. Season 3 is coming soon. And then later this year, you'll get four 44-minute CG specials, which I'm currently on notes calls giving notes about as we speak. Not as we speak, but I'll be doing later today. Yeah, and for those of you who don't know, and maybe you're kind of new to this kind of thing, the Animation Guild is not covered by the Writers Guild. It's a different situation, so people in animation keep working and creating these projects that they're creating. In case any of you maybe had a question about that, just wanted to clarify that for anybody. Good call. I don't want to get yeah. – yeah, I'm not crossing any picket lines, guys. Yeah, he doesn't want to get in trouble uh, like uh, Taika's been getting in trouble this re- recently. So, But anyway, we're going to get into everything. And just a reminder, the Streamlabs and Super Chats are open. already seen one Super Chat that came through. Thank you, uh, Lord of Darkness. We're going to get to it in just a little bit. But please, send men, send Streamlabs, send Super Chats. It's pinned in the chat. It's in the description of the video as well. And it's uh, not up on the screen, but I'll adjust that one of these days and have uh, Tushka do a new uh new graphic that has that up there for us as we're going along but michael i want to start off i know we said spider-man centric but we'll hit that in just a second but i want to start off with the tom cruise news as we mentioned as i mentioned here uh the beginning of the show apparently and this is just coming through from a number of sources tell me more uh tom cruise um is uh, setting himself up for a showdown here with IMAX theaters, um, he has booked most of the IMAX screens for the opening of Mission 7 
on July 12th, but then nine days later on July 21st comes Universal's Oppenheimer, which has locked in all the IMAX screens in North America and other territories for three full week. So that will bump Mission Impossible 7 from its rankings or from its status there in IMAX. And Tom Cruise is apparently flexing his muscle to try to force IMAX to keep his film in IMAX in a number of the theaters, even after the July uh, or, Ju- or June uh, 24 or July 21st date here. And his argument, according to people and sources behind the scenes, is that, hey, look, Spielberg said I saved cinemas. My Top Gun Maverick made $1.5 billion. 110 millions of that uh, of that money came from IMAX theaters. No way is Oppenheimer gonna make what Mission Impossible is gonna make on the IMAX theaters. So therefore. I should have precedence here. The counter is Nolan has pretty much been the IMAX darling and has screened his stuff in IMAX, shot Oppenheimer entirely in IMAX. So now this is becoming a battle of heavyweights behind the scenes. Tom Cruise versus Christopher Nolan with poor IMAX caught in the middle. And uh, Mike, you and I know someone who works pretty high up in IMAX. It must be interesting to be caught in this battle. What do you think about this? What do you think is the resolution? Or what do you think about Tom Cruise flexing his muscles a little bit here? No, him. I used to date him. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I I really wish Tom Cruise... I mean, I... Tom Cruise makes some valid points, but I really wish his argument had just been, guys, I jumped off a fucking cliff for this movie, <laughs> is really what the argument should have been. It. This is one of those... Look, in a world of fairness... Yes. Uh, Oppenheimer booked first. Sorry, Tom. That is what it is. And even more so, Mike, because uh, um, uh, Mission Impossible 7 jumped around four separate times because of COVID. So you're right. Yeah. So so in just a strict what is fair, Oppenheimer has these dates. You have these dates. This is what it is. They were here. First come, first serve. That being said, (laughs) and this is one of those things where, like, you just reach a movie – I, I don't know that any other actor could make the argument, I saved cinema, Maverick is a fucking juggernaut, yeah. my movie will make more money, and do it with a straight face and be taken at all seriously. And just, whether it's fair or not, Tom Cruise is one of the few people who, when he says it, you're like, that's kind of a dick thing to say, but you're not wrong. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm. I'm really. It's interesting to see what's what IMAX is going to do. Like, do they now extend the period? Because I mean, you know, Mike, summer movies. It's one movie on top of each yeah. other now in the season. So, what's behind um, Oppenheimer coming up to take those weeks after Oppenheimer makes its run in IMAX? What's coming up behind here in August? I don't know. I haven't checked that out yet. What would it be? Is there a way to move it over, or will IMAX surrender some of the screens? to MI7 to stay for a little bit longer. Is that the resolution here? Or do they say, no, look, he booked it. Nothing we can do about it, Tom. Suck it up and deal with it. Get everybody the IMAX in the first week. Or it's I mean, going to be and, gone. And look, I don't, think, I, don't think, I don't think Christopher Nolan is like a shrinking violet. So even yeah, if no. you say like, let's say that like IMAX goes, okay, well, in big cities like yeah. LA and New York, like we have multiple IMAX screens. Yes. So maybe right. we say, okay, well, we'll have Oppenheimer will be in these and Mission Impossible will be in these. But if they do that and Nolan comes back and says, you fuckers, really? <laughs> like like it is, their IMAX is the loser in this argument no matter yeah. what they do. Like they're going to make, they're going to piss off one of these two people. Um, 
it's an interesting one. I mean, and the real, the truth of it is it doesn't, it doesn't really matter. Like even if mission impossible after three weeks goes off IMAX screens, yeah, it's still making a bajillion dollars. That's true. That's and even if Oppenheimer isn't on every IMAX screen in the world, yeah. Nolan's movie is going to do just fine. It's Christopher Nolan. Like, so oh, it's right. one of these things where it's this huge argument of egos and you can sort of get swept away with, oh my gosh, well, if, if Oppenheimer takes away from Mission Impossible, none of that's really going to happen. Right. Mission Impossible is going to make a shit ton of money and Oppenheimer is going to make Christopher Nolan levels of money. Yeah, yeah. And from what I see here, it's Blue Beetle who would be coming after uh, Oppenheimer on August 18th and then after Blue Beetle, it's the Equalizer 3 in IMAX. So... I don't know. It's going to be real interesting how they m- make this all work and, and how they're putting it together. But I mean, I'm not surprised Tom is flexing his muscle a little bit. And Tom, you know, we've seen the rants of Tom behind the scenes on this movie. He clearly wants this movie to work, Michael. So I, I, I'm I not just, surprised he's flexing his muscles. Yeah. Once again, I just love that we have Tom Cruise. <laughs> I just love that we have somebody that can say, I saved cinema, and we all kind of go, I mean, uh, yeah, okay, sure, yeah. Like, not yeah. no, not no. I mean, if, if Saint Spielberg gives you the benediction, uh, then I, you know, I can't, I kind of feel like you have to go with that for sure. Uh, let's move on to uh, and, and uh, we got some Streamlabs super chats coming in. Keep sending them in, folks. We're definitely going to hit them as we go along. Just want to get a little deeper into the show before we address them and talk about them here on the show for sure. So, but let's move on to another topic here, Michael. I want to get your thoughts on this as well. Uh, Tom Holland is out promoting the new show that's coming out for him. Uh, on uh, on Apple TV, it's called The Crowded Room. It's set in New York City, um, and it's uh, set, I think, in the 1970s in New York City. Uh, so, an interesting thing that he's been involved with from the beginning. It's set in 1979. Uh, it's uh, a re- uh, the, he plays Danny Sullivan, who was arrested for his involvement in a New York City shooting in 1979 through a series of interviews with an interrogator named Raya, played by Amanda Seyfried. Sullivan slowly reveals his darkest secrets, but he was asked about Spider-Man four. And he said, quote, I can't talk about that, but I can say that we have been having meetings. We've put the meetings on pause in solidarity with the writers. There's been multiple conversations had, but at this point it's very, very early stages. And Amy Pascal essentially alluded to that said, they're going to make another movie, but they're waiting for the writer's strike to kind of calm down at this point before they jump into it. So are you a surprised that there's a Spider-Man four coming and although they haven't officially said there's a new trilogy, even though Amy kind of let that slip during the Spider-Man No Way Home press rounds, does the fact that they were having early conversations about Spider-Man 4, does this excite you? And then what does that make you think about the Sony Spider-Verse, quote-unquote Spider-Verse? Are they now maybe leaning more towards bringing back Garfield or Tobey Maguire? What are your thoughts on this? Well, can you just put that picture of Tom Holland back up for a second? Oh, God. All right, sure. Hold on a second. Let me see if I can find it. I might have deleted it. Just what? So you yeah, I might have deleted it. But go it ahead. It is gay pride. <laughs> I'm sorry. It is gay pride. I just wanted to look at his handsome face for three more seconds. There, there you thank go. You. There you go. Look how <laughs> handsome he is. That's a good He's looking so dude. handsome. He's a good look at that. Dude. Look at that face. Okay, now I'm good. Thank you. All right. Thank you. All right. All right. You're. You know what? You're a wonderful ally this Pride Month. Thank, thank you for thank doing you that. Much. Thank you for doing yeah. me that kindness. <laughs> um, I look. I don't think it's any surprise that they're doing a Spider-Man yeah. four. Yeah. Um. For, again, like if you think about it, and we talk about this all the time, like we talk yeah. about where is Marvel at phase four, phase five, or do we all have Marvel fatigue? Are we oh, yeah, over right. it? What's going on with Kang? There's all of these things that we talk about, uh, the oversaturation. I don't think anyone is oversaturated on Tom Holland's Spider-Man. Okay. Like 
that is that is something that both and and it's interesting because for the longest time like Sony was like Sony needs it yeah and it's great if Marvel has it like Marvel was firing on all cylinders and we wanted Spidey to be in that universe right. but if they hadn't like when you were in phase two phase three you're like I'd love Spider-Man but even if they don't yeah they're killing it right now Marvel kind of needs Spider-Man just as much as Sony does. Like every yeah. it is in everybody's mutual interest to pay Tom Holland all of the monies and keep <laughs> him going because he is he's one of the things that we all agree about in the Marvel yeah. universe yes. and that we're all excited about. Like yeah. we're like yeah, give me more of it. Like and especially because as our friend Mike Kalinowski was very happy about when we all saw no way home for anybody that feels that Marvel skipped over some of the origin that we had seen in the previous Spider-Man movies and didn't love that. They sort of very neatly ended no way home in a way that we're going to get a lot of the Spider-Man that we didn't get because he was Tony Stark's protege. So there's a lot of excitement around where that story can go. The fact that nobody knows he's Spider-Man, the fact that he doesn't have the Avengers uh, and Tony Stark at his back. So I think that not only does it make financial sense that they want to do this, but creatively, like there's excitement there. Um, I am sure that as part of the Sony Marvel conversations, Amy Pascal is like, and then Tom can be in our Spider-Man movies, right? (laughs) And I am sure that Kevin's like, oh, oh, we'll talk about it later, Amy. Yeah. Well, I gotta, I, I gotta go. I got another call. Tyke is calling me on the other line. Um, I, you know, we've talked about this a ton. I, yeah, I want, I want Sony to make. I want them to spend every bit of money on every animated Spider-Man thing that Lord and Miller want to do for the rest of time. Yeah, and I would be more than happy if they took all the money from their Spider-Man universe live-action stuff. And just sunk it into animated Spider-Man stuff. Yeah. And yeah. I think and I don't think anybody, even if you are a fan of the Venom movies and Morbius and you're excited for Craven, I think if they all of a sudden stopped making those movies and said we're gonna double down and do five more animated things with Lord and Miller, I think we'd all be like, cool, that's a smart choice. I think creatively we'd all be cool, that's a smart choice. But but business-wise, you know, the animated film. Is might not rival what you're going to make in a live action situation. So, and we've got a Miles Morales live action movie in the works right now, which could maybe be the Spider Man that they get with Venom, with Morbius, with all these other characters. Do you think? Here's a question, and I, yeah, this is yeah. for everybody in the chat too. I'm curious, yeah. and I don't know if they said so. I might, I might be behind on the news on this. Like, sure, please. Is a Miles Morales movie going to be a Sony Spider Man movie, or is Miles Morales going to get introduced in these new Spider Man movies into the MCU? I'm uh, from what I'm hearing is it's going to be a Sony Spider-Man movie. It will be a Sony Spider-Man movie with Miles Morales because he has been exclusively a Sony property animated wise. They don't have a Spider-Man now. I think all this talk about Garfield and uh, um, uh, Toby coming back is all just fun conversation. I actually don't know and don't think that they're going to come back because they're getting longer in the tooth. The idea of them coming back to play these characters, eh, you want to kind of still have that young vibe to them. And Miles Morales, especially after people go to see Across the Spider-Verse, I think that's going to start, the drumbeat's going to start getting louder and louder for him and finding the right person to be that Spider-Man. I just see it. I'm kind of with Travis in the chat. Oh, yeah? What Travis say? Wasting Miles on, like, the Venom and Morbius movies. You know what I mean? It's like, ugh. 
but I, but also that yeah. could elevate it. I mean, like, look, yeah, I, I'm just 100% Miles Morales fan all the way. So I just want wherever he is introduced, I want that to be awesome. Yeah. And if he comes in to the Venom, Morbius, Morbius Craven, uh, you know, Madam Web yeah. universe, yeah, yeah. and all of a sudden somebody comes in and makes that all make sense and it's awesome and we love it. Great, yeah. fine. I'll be I'll be the first person that'll be happy to actually care about that universe on any level, but okay. they all have to do a lot of heavy lifting to get me there. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of heavy lifting. You're not you're not wrong about that for sure. Um, so we'll see, we'll see. And speaking of uh, Spider Man and the animated, uh, let's move on to that as the next story here, Michael. I want to talk about the early uh, the only numbers have come in for this one for uh, Spider Man and uh, on the box office, and it has earned seventeen point three five million dollars in previews which is the second highest, uh, Michael, for an animated film after The Incredible 2's 18.5 million on this. And uh, it's tracking at 39% guys under 25, 28% guys over 25, that's me, 21% women under 25, and 11% women over 25. And 79% definite recommend with a very diverse turnout with Hispanic and Latino audiences repping 33% of the crowd, Caucasians 30%. Black 20%, Asian 11%. I told you we go to see these movies, people. Uh, and they're looking at these numbers uh, that are uh, seem to be boding really well for this. And it's destroying the numbers from Into the Spider-Verse because people have had time to watch that animated feature. And it's been five years since that one came out in this sequel. And, of course, we get the, ne- the sequel to this one in eight months or something like that next year in, uh, I think, March of 2024. So we've got that coming up. But, yeah, the numbers here... It looks like they get let ninety million for the opening. What do you think about this? Is this bode well? Would you were you hoping for bigger numbers? Do you think it might break a hundred and shock a lot of people because of the positive reviews? If it breaks a hundred, I'll be thrilled. I don't think it matters. Yeah. I mean, it okay. matters for the news cycle, but right, right. based on every single tweet and review <laughs> and person that I've talked to, yeah, this yeah, is yeah. one of this is like one of those movies that like word of mouth is beyond what anybody's wildest expectations could be. Like this is a movie that if you didn't go see into the spider verse, yeah, your friends are all like, listen, you've got to go see this on the big screen. It's the craziest thing I ever saw. And people will go watch into the spider verse just so they can go see across the spider verse. Like, like that we like with this, the word of the word of mouth on this is insane. I'm seeing it tomorrow morning. Okay. It is like, as, as I've mentioned, it's gay pride this weekend in Los Angeles in West Hollywood. I might be more excited about going to see Spider-Man tomorrow morning than I am about the gay pride stuff that I'm doing this weekend. <laughs> well, don't, to be fair, that's don't a new, tell everybody. Um, that's a new it, movie, gay pride you've done. So I, fair. yeah, I am so beyond excited. And yeah, yeah I, so I think that I, I want this to set records. I would, it would be awesome if it made over hundred million, but what's going to be really great is next week when yeah. we do geek buddies and yeah. we talk about, Oh, it only had a 12% drop or whatever, like some insane thing because people are still going to see it. Yeah, yeah. And certainly we just announced this here on the show. We are going to spoiler review the movie Monday night. This Monday night, the Geek Buddies are going to be spoiler reviewing. Hey, John. Yeah. Hey, John, why are we not, why are we not doing our spoiler review on Sunday night? You want me to read the text? I don't think yep, I can read, you can the read the text. <laughs> I can say this. John uh, texted me. He goes, he goes, guys, when are you seeing it? I'm like, oh, I'm seeing Spider-Verse Saturday morning. He goes, great. Do you want to do a spoiler review Sunday night? <laughs> and Michael said, wait, I got to I gotta find it. Uh, he says, Sunday is gay pride and you will not want me anywhere near the geek buddies. So there you go. And that's what he said. So we understood that. True so we're facts. definitely going to do it on Monday. <laughs> True facts. <laughs> For 
sure. For sure. Um, yeah, what, oh, we have Christian Harloff's Galaxy Edge in here. Oh, my God. Who is that? Um, but, yeah, uh, very much looking forward to seeing uh, how this does overall. I, I'm still really surprised, Mike, that this hasn't caught on and higher numbers. I, I guess the animated stuff really does keep people away from seeing these kinds of films because, I mean, these two – I'm going to tell you right now, my quick review, it is a – as a Sean O'Connell, I think it was Sean O'Connell said that it is a step beyond a masterpiece and he's a hundred percent right. It really is. I, I, I liken it to that moment when you read that comic book that changes your life mm-hmm. or changes your approach to comics. That's what this film is. People are so, I was so surprised at how every beat of this was excellent and worked so well. So, and I know I'm a little bit frozen right now and I apologize, but yeah, this is so such a good movie. So I'm, I'm, I know it's projected at 80, maybe 90, but I would love it if it broke 100, 110, 120 and shocked a lot of people, kind of like Black Panther did yeah. or Aquaman did going to a billion. I would like that to well, happen for this. Yeah. I'll tell you, and I know, I know we're going to talk about the Ninja Turtles trailer in a minute, but I got to tell you, mm. I, I was talking to some friends about this today. I, I think we're, I think we're at an inflection point. Like, I think oh, yeah. things are about yeah. to change. Like, I, we've been seeing it. You've been seeing it for a while now. Um, yeah. You've been seeing Arcane on Netflix, uh, Invincible on Amazon. We've been seeing these things. And to your point, when when Into the Spider-Verse came out, it really did blow people away. And it was not... I, look, we—if you've been—if you're a Geek Buddies listener, you know I love Disney. You know I love Pixar. You know I love DreamWorks. Those are movies that are family movies. That when they're really good, they elevate into this is beyond just a family movie. This is art. It's amazing. It's for adults too. Like Finding Nemo, every kid loves it. But yeah. you're like, oh, this is really a movie about a dad that needs to get his shit together. Um, <laughs> but into the, across into the Spider Verse, yeah, was on a whole other level. From oh, everything yeah. I'm hearing across the Spider-Verse is on a whole other level. Ninja Turtles, even though obviously kids are want to go see it, like you look at the art style, you look at the story, you look at what they're doing. These are movies that are being made with a level of care that like this is like, oh, we're not just making a movie to get kids in there. Mm-hmm. And fortunately, we're a generation of people who grew up and never put away our geeky things, which is why yeah. you all listen to Geek Buddies, because we're all around here in our 30s and 40s and 50s and 60s and whatever, we'll talking about thing. Star Wars and the Marvel Universe and uh, Ninja Turtles and Spider-Man. But so the audience is primed and ready. The yeah. audience is like, I don't see a distinction between animation and live action. And yeah. the movies and the quality of movies and the types of stories that they're telling is catching up to that. So like with the one-two punch of... Uh, across the Spider-Verse coming out now and that mm-hmm. Ninja Turtles movie coming out later in the summer, I think we're going to start seeing a big difference uh, yeah. in in certain animated movies. And even, I mean, I'll include Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. Yes. On Netflix. That's a great point. That is yeah, that is yeah. not a kid's movie, guys. Right, right. Yeah, we've been There's seeing... Nazis in it. There's Nazis in it. <laughs> we've been seeing the progression of animation, as Mike, as you so well point, so eloquently point out, the progression of animation, the level of animation getting higher and higher, and more and more people being drawn to this stuff. And that's a great point you bring up, an inflection point. Eventually, the older generation starts to move out of the way, and the younger generation embraces a new approach to films. Uh, do, do does that uh, include these new approaches to animation that are really appealing to a lot of people across the board and surprising a lot of people? And I think seeing the early preview box office numbers for Across the Spider-Verse speaks volumes at how impressive Into the Spider-Verse was for the last five years 
for people to keep discovering it, rediscovering it. Because I imagine the first, because the previews were like four, 5.3 million for Into the Spider-Verse. And that's people probably like, well, I'll see if it's good. Nick Cage, Spider-Ham, I don't, I don't know Spider-Woman. Mainstream people, I don't know Spider-Woman or Spider-Gwen. Let me see. And then it blows people away. And then it's all word of mouth. And now we've got 17.35 million in these previews. So hopefully. Let me ask you this. I know we're doing our spoiler review. Yeah. I, I know we're doing our spoiler review on Monday. And I don't want to get spoiled. I don't want to say anything. But sure, sure, sure. I have heard multiple people okay. compare this movie uh-huh. to Empire Strikes Back. Like people yeah. are like, this, this made me feel like Empire Strikes Back. In that it's a self-contained film, yet it does obviously connect up to, yes, I would put this in the basket of these great setup films like Empire Strikes Back that are their standalone films you can enjoy and um, Infinity War. I absolutely think Infinity War, Empire Strikes Back, these are correlative to what you're getting in Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. And by the way, the gutsiness of them making this a over two-hour animated film that you do not feel at any point in the movie, in my opinion, uh, I could have gone another hour watching that movie. When it ended, I was like, wait, oh, that's right. It's a part one. Like you you literally were like, oh my God, that's right. This is a part one. They're supposed to continue. Ooh. I totally forgot as I was watching the movie because it, there's so much adventure, such an interesting story, uh, and so many well-fleshed uh, out characters and all the stuff with the Spider-Men when you show up at that place that's been teased in the trailer, yeah, just great, great. Y'all, the hype train is off the rails. Yeah. I am just got to get to tomorrow now. All right, woo. Yeah, Spider Punk is. Uh, it, I will be having Spider Punk stuff all over my walls very, very soon. Just letting you all know right now. That's my hero of the movie. Um, all right, let's let's move on to. Oh, actually, yeah, let's move on to one more story here, Mike, and we'll take a break and then get into okay. some of these Streamlabs and super chats. And this is a special well, a special one for Michael as well, because we'll get to the. I want to take a break here between Spider-Verse and Mutant Ninja Turtles because we just mentioned it. But, Michael, there's a story going around that broke yesterday that there is a new name that has been thrown into the mix here for Superman. And this is an actor from The Bold and the Beautiful. His name is Pearson Fode. And I bring up right there the picture of the gentleman uh, that I'm talking about, if you want an even closer look at this man, I suppose I can give you that. But he has a million followers on Instagram. You look at this face. You look at these piercing blue eyes, that chin, the 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 bit of the uh, five o'clock shadow here, and that incredible hair. And this, he's 31 years old, um, and he's an unknown in the way that a mainstream type of thing still with a million followers on Instagram. Your thoughts on the look of this guy, the possibility? Could you see him with Rachel Brosnahan? Are they looking at a 31-year-old, Rachel being 32 years old, that maybe they play this idea? Maybe it's not supposed to be you know, starting out Superman, but it's not older Superman. It's somewhere in that middle area. Would this work for you, looking at this guy's face, looking at this guy's uh, uh, presentation here? What do you think? I mean, it's a pretty face. um yeah look i mean having no knowledge of his acting ability whatsoever yes um he looks the part yeah he looks good and i and i agree and we've talked about this i i think when we had when we broke all the casting news or we were talking about the casting news yeah uh you know i think going with more of an unknown for superman is the right way to go okay and particularly after this whole 
ridiculous May December debate about Rachel Brosnahan being oh 32 God. years old. So um, if a 31 year old gets me uh, Rachel Brosnahan, Lois Lane, I'll take it. Like I will take whatever yeah. I do, do whatever you need to do to get me the marvelous Mrs. Lane uh, in that Superman movie. <laughs> He's been hinting at it. You know, the, why am I wearing the red suit? Uh, this one here, uh, this was two weeks, two months ago. Become the hero in your own story. I don't know, Mike. I mean, he might have been in the... Look at look at this. Come on. This is a good-looking he dude. He's a good-looking dude. And, uh, you know, it. Right. He, he looks the part. At, you know, I, I will say... Yes. And this comes up all the time. And Like, he looks the part. Looks good. And like I said, I've never seen him act. There's been debates from back when... Ian McKellen was passed, cast as Magneto. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When Tom Holland was cast as Peter Parker and he looked so small. And you're like, there's always debates about does this person look the part or not? And sometimes yeah. you find someone who looks the part and acts the part and it's perfect. Right. Robert Downey Jr. is a prime example. Yeah. Sometimes you find someone who looks the part and then you get them in that screen and you're like, yeah, you don't, you don't have it. So he absolutely looks the part and James Gunn looking at guardians of the galaxy looking at the suicide squad yeah he's good at casting i mean and he casts people that deliver so yeah. i do trust there's you know all, for all the questions that we have about james gunn and how is he going to work as the architect of the universe and not just the director of singular movies like lots yeah. of debates but james gunn's casting has been pretty spot on i mean yeah. that, a big reason of why we all love those guardians movies is that's a banger cast. So yeah, I, I, I think he's going to do well there. And uh, and like I said, I right now, anything that gets me Rachel Brosnahan as Lois Lane, I'm, I'm on board for. <laughs> I just rewatched I just rewatched the final episode of Miss Maisel the other day because I like the finale so much. And the whole yeah. time that I was watching it, I was like, yep, yep, that's Lois Lane. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, your lips to God's ears. Let's see what happens. But also, um, I mean, it wouldn't be the first soap app soap opera actor to become a Superman family member. Sasha Kaye, um, I think she's in the Young and the Restless for many, many years. If I'm yeah, Young and the Restless, two hundred and seventy three episodes of Young and the Restless. So could be very interesting. And of course, Sasha Kaye recently coming out saying that Henry Cavill gave her the blessing to play. Uh, Supergirl apparently liked what she did with Supergirl, so maybe he got an early screening or whatever yeah. of it. Apparently, really apparently enjoyed. everyone likes what she's doing with Supergirl, so, yeah. so can't wait. Hopefully she stays. James? James? Um, all right, anyway, let's take a quick break, and uh, we'll jump into some Streamlabs and Super Chats, and then we'll get into a couple more news topics, and then we'll jump into our Spider-Man rankings and some Pride stuff going on as well right after this. Hello, Geek Buddies fans. Before we jump into today's episode, let's give a warm thank you to our sponsor, Marquee TV. Their support is why we're able to bring this podcast to you. Marquee TV isn't just any streaming service. They're your gateway to an incredible world of arts and culture. That's right, Johnny. I've explored Marquee TV, and I've been amazed by their vast library of performances, exclusive interviews, and behind-the-scenes content. It is a treasure trove for any arts and culture lover. Right now, I'm in the middle of watching the Royal Shakespeare Company's production 
production of The Tempest. And I've also got my eye on that Shakespeare masterclass taught by Dame Judi Dench. Yeah, Shannon, and speaking of the RSC, I watched Christopher Eccleston's performance of Macbeth last night, and I'm going to jump into Kit Harington's performance of Henry V from the Don Mar Warehouse. Imagine having the world's most breathtaking ballets, dramatic theater productions, and magical operas at your fingertip. That's the experience Marquee TV offers, making the arts accessible wherever you are. And we've got a special treat for our listeners. Marquee TV offers three months of access for just 99 cents. That's right, three months for only 99 cents with the code BUDDIES. B-U-D-D-I-E-S. Simply visit Marquee.tv and use the promo code BUDDIES to dive into the world of arts like never before. Bring the arts home with Marquee TV. Get three months for just 99 cents. Visit Marquee.tv to start your journey into the world of arts now. Use code BUDDIES. Explore the extensive library of performances on Marquee TV today and keep up with the latest in art streaming by following at Marquee TV on social media. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. I'm coming out. Uh, 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 <laughs> hey, Shannon's not here. Someone's got to do hey, it. I think it's a great choice. I love that song. <laughs> I don't care what anybody says. Shout out to Diana Ross. Um, all right. Uh, okay, let's move on to the next story here. And as Michael was teasing a little bit, it's uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem time. This trailer dropped earlier this week here from uh, producer Seth Rogen, who's also playing one of the characters. We got our first look at the sinister bad guy, Superfly, who is being played or voiced and played by Ice Cube uh, in this. And the director on this one I think is Jeff Rowe, I think is his name. He's one of the animators from Mitchell's Versus the Machines, John Cena's in this thing. Giancarlo Esposito is in this thing. The actors are Nicholas Cantu, Brady Noon, Shaman Brown Jr., and Micah Abbey, who are playing Leonardo, Raphael, Michelangelo, Donatello. And this thing hits August 2nd. I got to tell you, Mike, I absolutely did not anticipate putting this on my to-do list or to-watch list. But after these last two trailers, and especially this trailer, I love the vibe and the feel of this one. So now this is a must-watch for me. What are your thoughts coming out of this second trailer uh, for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem? I mean, I love the first trailer. Uh, mm. This trailer, this trailer solidified me. It's like I said, like I'm, I'm, I'm banking, I'm banking on this movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I think this movie is going to be another one of those movies in the furthering animation and the genre and what it can do. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, even though it is a movie about four uh, mutant turtles and their rat dad, uh, like I said, <laughs> like this is this is the world that we grew up in. Like yeah. to, to me and to most of the geeks in our generation, there is a world where like we will go see a historical biopic yes. by Spielberg 
and then go see a movie about four Ninja Turtles fighting a fly mm -hmm. and go, yeah, those were both excellent films. Like there's no <laughs> difference to us. And I, I love that we live in that world. Um, so already from this, already from the first trailer, loved the look. Yeah. yeah. Love, love the fact that they're actually being voiced by kids. Yes. That yeah, they actually like sound like kids. I think that is like, that's one of those choices that if you grew up with the uh, Ninja Turtles from our childhood, like it throws you for a minute because they sound yeah. so different. But then when you think about it, you're like, yeah, no, that's great. Um, and just loved the vibe and the tone. Got more humor uh, in this mm -hmm. um, and got more story. Yeah. And I think that's what really like Superfly looks great. I love that we have a new villain that we haven't seen before and that we're not just going back to the Shredder and the Foot Clan kind yeah. of thing over and over. Like, save Shredder, give it to me in the second movie, give it to me in the third movie, but like starting with something brand new. And most importantly, and you see what the story is here, and this is a yeah. little bit of a different story for Ninja Turtles, which is they've always been like, look, we're teens, we live in the sewer, we want to fit in, we want to be heroes, we want people to accept us. Totally, like, that's like a, a, a stock and trade of the whole thing. Yes. But really doubling down on this here's a whole group of mutants and are they're going to say, Hey, you belong with us. Yeah. And ultimately them deciding where do I fit in this world? And even like that quick little moment in the trailer where they're all in the sewer in their beds and they're like, what do you want? Like, what do you dream about? Like yeah. just kind yeah. of really getting into the emotional side of the story of like, who are these kids? What do they want? Like they want regular teenage lives and they right. can't because they're turtles and they live in a sewer. So like them wanting to be find where they belong yeah, and then having this whole group of mutants show up and being like, you belong with us and spoiler alert, I haven't seen the movie, but I'm pretty sure they're going to choose to not. Yeah. Um, and that just looks great. Like it's a really compelling story. It gives me, all the things that I'm familiar with, with a Ninja Turtle story, but with yeah. some new dynamics and a new twist that feels really fresh and different. And I literally couldn't be more excited. Yeah, and of course you have Jackie Chan as Splinter. So that's a, a great part of this as well. But yeah, and you've got four of them. And I think you make a great point here, Michael. It's very reminiscent, obviously, of X-Men mutants versus, you know, good mutants versus bad mutants, that kind of thing. Humanity in the middle, what's going to happen here. But yeah, but the fact that you have four very distinct, strong teenage voices who are coming of age, uh, it seems like, and wanting to fit in, wanting to be part of the of their worlds, wanting to have regular lives that they see human beings having. I want a girlfriend. I want this. I want that. You know, it all works in what their oral boyfriend, whatever it may be. Uh, it all works in what they're going. But having one of them maybe consider Splinter's proposal, or not Splinter, um, Superfly's proposal, just a little bit longer than yeah. the others could lead to an interesting conversation amongst the four of them in an animated format, but still could be made where you could have. A respect for that approach, but also understanding why that approach doesn't 100% work in the long run. So I like that there's possibilities. I like the new design of April O'Neil as well. Yep. I think that really works. They upgraded the everything in the approach to it as well. And I mean, Superfly is a great reference because A, that's a black exploitation yep. reference. So having Ice Cube do it, but also him quoting Six O'Clock in the Morning, an Ice T song. So just like there's so much here that really works to keep it kind of ground level and street level and, and uh, urban, which I appreciate as well. The, the design of the human characters is very interesting. Oh yeah. Uh, only because like, usually when you're doing an animated film and you know, you sort of default back to what's cute and appealing and cartoony. And if you look at Disney movies, Pixar movies, DreamWorks movies, yeah. the humans, big eyes, and they're really nice looking or whatever. And these humans have a very distinctive look that I've not yeah. seen 
in any other animated movie that is on the verge of like looking almost weird, but yeah. I'm kind of into the vibe of it. So I think it's going to be really interesting to see how those animated characters play on screen. So I'm, yeah. I'm stoked. I can't wait. Does it have the PJs vibe? Maybe I'm just joking. I'm just joking. All oh my right, God. Cool. The PJs. <laughs> the PJs. Blast from the past, man. Love the PJs. Oh, Eddie. Uh, all right. Anyway, well, let's move on to something a little more darker, and then we're going to get to your stream lives and super chats after this. So start. So send them in if you haven't sent them in here. But um, Mike, we got this article. We'd be remiss not to talk about it. Uh, Dan, this Vanity Fair article um, uh, from uh, uh, there was an excerpt of Marina Dowd, Marine Dowd's book um, uh, about uh, what went on behind the scenes at Lost. There was a lot of toxicity. Uh, neg- these are accusations by. Actors like Harold Perrineau and um, some unnamed actors and writers were given code names in the in the excerpt from the book here that's coming out a little bit later on this year. Um, a couple of the writers, uh, including, including Javier Garcia Marshall, are, are talked to about some of their experiences from Damon Lindelof and Carlton Hughes as the showrunners. And there were a lot of accusations of racism, of misogyny, of sexism, um, and um, even Harold Perrin, who's speaking about uh, a bit of cultural blindness or deafness to the storyline that he was involved in with Walt and his character uh, here. So, I mean, I don't want to rehash all of it, uh, but I just want to lay the groundwork a little bit to let people know you should definitely read this excerpt. It's pretty extensive. I've already pre-ordered the book because i got to read this thing. It's called, I think it's called Burn It Down. And so, um, Michael, your thoughts when you read this and um, both Lindelof's defenses, he did take responsibility, but also kind of defended some stuff by saying, I don't remember. And Hughes's defense, which was much more defiant of like, well, if anybody had an issue, they should have said something. I would have totally fixed it, which, you know, in my opinion, actually, I don't want to say Michael knows this. I'm saying in my opinion is absolute horseshit. So you tell me, what do you think about this uh, article and what do you think about what came out here? It's a fascinating article. Like John said, if you haven't, just Google Lost Variety. It'll be like the first thing that comes up. And it's a long, it's a long <laughs> read, but uh, it's worth it. Like it is a fascinating read and gives you a very uh, vivid window of yeah. what it was like to be in, uh, in a writer's room or behind the scenes on a big show in the early 2000s. Yeah. Um, it is not shocking. Yeah. I guess I mean like that's that's a sad thing to say, but particularly at that time yeah. in the industry, this is before Me Too. This is before cancel culture. This is before uh, you know listen to women. Like this is before any of this stuff. So yeah, there yeah, was yeah. stuff like like behind the scenes in Hollywood was wild. I don't, yeah. That's not news to anybody, but it was wild. I think the really interesting thing about this article is you sort of see this generational shift happening. Mm-hmm. So like Damon Lindelhoff was just starting out. So he, and I mean, right. and this is, I think he basically says this in the article. He was new. He was kind of thrown into this. Uh, he was show running a show, which is a very, very stressful thing. And he now in retrospect is like, yeah, like I failed in a lot of ways. Carlton Cuse was an older, did like Nash Bridges, did all these shows and like that, like Damon Lindelhoff had worked with him. And so because Damon Lindelhoff wasn't that experienced, they brought Carlton Cuse in to sort of run run everything. And Carlton Cuse comes from that older Hollywood that was even worse. Yeah. So he came in and ran this room the way he had been running like fucking Nash Bridges. Yeah. And look, it it is, I'm not gonna say it used to be, it still is true a lot, but like, like, White cisgender straight dudes 
say a lot of stupid shit sometimes. <laughs> I mean, everybody says stupid shit sometimes. I'm not, That's you know, true. but like, but, That's but true. in the industry, there was just this, you could say things about women. You could say things about LGBTQ people. You right. could say things about ethnic minorities and everybody was just kind of like, Oh, that guy, he's rough around the edges. And you just didn't get called on it. And that's where Carlton Cuse kind of came from. Um, and then Damon Lindelhoff is starting out and then all of this shit goes down. And particularly because you had a show like lost that came out that on the face of it had so much diversity at the beginning. Yeah. Yeah, right. You had sure. this really diverse cast with a really interesting idea, like, you know, and yeah. if you think, you know, it's it's hard to think back, like, I I did not love where Lost ended up, so Lost sure. is not, like, one of my top ten shows of all time, but, man, yeah. that first season, uh, John, I don't know if you remember this, do you remember, we went to our friend Jen's wedding in New York. Oh, yeah. When the Lost finale, season one finale was coming out. Yeah. And I had someone from work FedEx us a copy, a VHS copy of the finale. And then I lied to the people at the hotel and told them and pretended that I was my own assistant and that I was going to get in trouble if they didn't deliver a VCR to our room just so that we could watch the season one finale and not miss anything. (laughs) This I remember. This I remember. Um, Uh, (laughs) So we were like super into it and it was like this big show. But so to find out that everything behind the scene was so toxic, it's kind of disappointing and it's kind of sad, but I think it's more than any of that. It's a really interesting commentary on like where Hollywood was. Yeah. Where it was at this point and then where, and where it's been. The fact that we're looking back on this now and we're horrified rightly so at a lot of the stuff that we're hearing is a good thing ultimately. And even as you said, John, as you spoke to, and we we were we were texting about this. Damon Lindelhoff didn't come out when he was when he was when the when the interviewer asked him about all this stuff. Didn't come out and say, "Yep, I'm a piece of shit. Fire yeah. me." Yeah. But he did take a level of responsibility at least and say yes. some of the stuff. He's like, "I don't remember saying this. I am not lying to you. I'm not saying these people are liars. I'm saying it makes me horrified." that these people feel this way and I don't recall this at all. That's horrible. And then other things he was like, yeah, I was starting out. I was, I failed people in a lot of ways. Like he does take a level of responsibility, whereas Carlton Cuse in his responses does not. Um, And I think, again, that's just shows a generational thing of Carlton Cuse is from an older generation. Damon Lindelhoff is a bit more sensitive now and aware of the shape of things. And it make, it gives me hope ultimately that people that are show running today, uh, and the big names that we have out there are a little bit more responsible and that we're just going to continue on that road. But it is a fascinating snapshot regardless. Yeah, you know, something Jeff brought up last night on the hotline when we were talking about this, which I didn't think about. He's like, you know, it may not be over because a lot of people who were show running or who were in charge are all people who worked under Harvey or worked under Scott Rudin. And both of those guys have had some really horrible um, allegations, accusations, and convictions that have been uh, attached to those guys. So, are those people just going to repeat patterns in a different way? And we see people pushing back on, you know, the idea of cancel culture, this fabricated term, and the idea of, um, you know, of being being held to account for things. And I, and I see that Hollywood has never been, and I'll say for my personal opinion, Hollywood has never been as progressive or as liberal as people think it is, or as the right paints it to be. And we see that with the Ari Emanuel news coming out that he had had a deal with Saudi Arabia and then kind of shoved it under the table and gave the money back once the fervor was getting too loud in terms of the accusations and the look of it all. So money is always what drives things. And you can see in the article, clearly the writers and the producers decided 
we're going to go with these four white actors. They are our meal ticket. And you can't, and I, and I, yes, did it work out? Did they make a lot of money? Were they stars? Sure. But, you know, the challenge is, can you do this with a black actor? Can you do this with an Indian actor or a, or a Middle Eastern actor or an Asian actor? Can you do this with well, a Korean actor? Can you? Do, so you have got to work that same level. And I think nowadays we're seeing that way more in our entertainment, that we're seeing much more diversity and them getting good storylines in these shows. Yeah. Here, and well, here, and this is it. I'm not trying to. Uh... This doesn't, I'm not, I'm certainly not excusing Carlton Cuse and I'm not excusing, excusing yeah, yeah, yeah. Damon Lundell right. either, sure, but sure, sure. this is why it's important to have so much diversity behind the camera as in front of the camera. And I think Lost is the perfect example of this. I'd say in so the writer's Lost, room as well, yeah. Lost, yeah. Lost has a very diverse cast. So it starts yes. off and everyone's equal. Oh, uh, Michael and his son is really interesting. Saeed is interesting. Like, you know, like yeah. every single one of these characters is really interesting. And then as the show moves forward, all of a sudden, like the stories about, uh, you know, Jack and Kate and Sawyer and Locke start yeah. like really getting pushed. And the article says this, that Carlton Cuse said uh, when Perrineau was like, well, what's the deal? He's like, well, this is what people are more interesting in. These are the more interesting stories. Right, right, and right. sure, if you are a white guy. Exactly. Exactly. You are going to naturally be like, well, these are interesting stories. And you're mm -hmm. not going to see some of the more interesting things about these other stories. Whereas now, I mean, like, you know, across the Spider-Verse coming out and like yes. Miles is biracial, his biracial, his, you know, his, his parents and their, uh, their ethnic background, like it's all kind of a part of the story. And yeah. it is really interesting. It's interesting to everybody because someone knew how to tell that story. So you can just see how the people at the top in Lost kind of, as as good as some of the storytelling in Lost was, and yeah. some of it was not, there's a lot of really good stories that were just left behind yeah. because yeah. they didn't see them. And I, I think, and I'm, I'm sure if I remember this correctly, we would have arguments about like, well, why isn't Walt? How come no one's talking about Walt? Where am I, doesn't Michael care about Walt? Like, what's what's the deal here? And certainly to find out that Her this was written in a certain way and Harold had to play it a certain way. And then Harold felt like he was fired because he asked for more consideration for his storyline. And he was pitched as a, they brought him on because of his work on Oz from how yeah. he was painting it in the article. So certainly pitched to him as being one of the central guys. And I agree with you. And this is one of the big complaints I had I have about Ted Lasso. I, you, you've got basically white straight men in charge of the entire show. And yes, you do bring in some writer, female writers, most of them white, and to kind of tackle these subjects. But there should have been much more done with the characters of color to flesh out their stories, to give them back. Everyone loves the Jamie Tart storyline. And it is great. MVP storyline of the season, <laughs> series. But there could have been more with Sam beyond him being just a smiley guy that occasionally gets into a little bit of rough waters. I wanted more with Isaac. What's his backstory? What's his parents? What's going on with him? I wanted a lot more with Danny Rojas. Latinos are such a significant part of the soccer football culture to turn him into the butt of the joke or the sweet guy with the philosophies and uh, obsessed with a striker for the season. That to me undercuts what more we could have done, which is where's Danny's family? How does Danny feel about him being, or his family feel about him being overseas and playing when he goes to play for Mexico? What's that vibe like going back to play with his fellow Mexican players? Like there's so much that could have been explored. And so to me, I will bang this drum forever. If you're going to do characters of color on your show and it's an all white writer's room or an all white producing team or all white creators team, Get the fuck up off of your ass and go and find people who are of color or women of color and have them have their perspective as strongly or equally met as yours so you can have a more fleshed out, believable show. And that is, I think, one of the lessons coming out of this article 
that is hammered home even more is you need more diversity in all areas yeah. so you can deliver a much more richer show that resonates with people for, ge mm -hmm. for generations. So, yeah, so we'll see. Um, one last story, and then we'll get into Streamlabs and Super Chats. Michael, The Rock is coming back. I don't know if you have a lot of opinions on this. He is coming back to the Fast and Furious uh, franchise. He's going to do a standalone Fast and Furious movie that's going to fall between the recent Fast X movie and the a sequel to that Fast X movie that's coming out. This is the film. It's being written here. Oh, it's written rather. And it's, um, he delivered a four minute, 12 second video about this. And Jeff was saying last night, on hot mic, the rumors are that the rock is not getting green lights on his projects at the level that he was before. And that this was a way of going back to something that worked for him to see if maybe this will help him kind of get out of the current funk that he's in, in the bad streak that he's in right now with all of his movies. So what do you think when you hear this? Uh, do you think this is a little bit of, hey, guys, I'm st I can still make it work if I go back to this? Um, or does it feel a little desperate? Or does this feel like the right thing to do right now? I don't know. It doesn't feel desperate. Okay. Um, you know, going back to one of the biggest franchises in the world is like, yeah, okay, that makes sense. But I yeah. think it's 100% uh, what Jeff said. Like, yeah, he was like, I'm The Rock. I can do anything. Yeah. Look at me make this Black Adam movie. I'm going to turn Black Adam into the biggest thing in the DC universe. It's going to be Black Adam versus Superman. This is what we're doing. Just wait and see. And then we were all like, no, no. No, no. <laughs> yeah. That is not what we are doing. And, it, and yeah. I think not only – look, everyone has movies that don't do well. Sure. Even Tom sure. Cruise, who saved cinema, has sure. had some stinkers. Yeah. Um but I think it was a combination of Black Adam performing the way it did and then The Rock's reaction to yeah. the yeah. way it was performing. I think that ultimately maybe tarnished him a little bit more than the fact that the movie didn't perform. And I think he did kind of have this moment where it was like, oh, maybe I did fly a little too close to the sun here. Yeah. Let me yeah. take a step back. I know that I've been all like, I'm out of the Fast franchise, but maybe this is going to reset things so we yeah. can put this whole Black Adam thing behind me and I can go back to doing what I want to do. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and maybe, and I think ringing up Kevin Hart and going over through some, going over some ideas to maybe bring that back to kind of put some more comedy on, into his mix more and humanize him a little bit more, I think might be the way to go. But look, I'm excited to see it. I hope it's good. I think Chris Morgan is writing it, who wrote Fast 8, which I liked. And a couple of the other installments that I enjoyed. So me too. Well, let me, me see. Too. <laughs> I know you're being sarcastic. Let me <laughs> see what it ends up being, and I'll be happy with it. Um, all right. Well, let's take a quick break, and then we'll jump into your streamlabs and super chats and get into ranking the Spider-Man movies uh, right after this. Oh, you don't want to put this up for Michael right after this. It's raining, man. Hallelujah! It's raining, man. That's very good, Mike. That's Thank you. Thank you. Good. Thank you. All right. Anyway, let's get into this stuff here. Let me hit some of these start. Okay. So, um, yeah, here we go. Lord of Darkness says, yo, what's good, Vogel? My G, what's your favorite show at the moment, which is not geek related besides Succession? Same goes for you, John. Love you both. Fan, fan since Collider. Thank you. Roka, keeping it real and raw. Well, always. Michael, answer. I mean, I already said this because it already came up in the Superman conversation, but yeah. uh, I, I, I am very sad that The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel is done, and uh, I was right. even considering maybe going back and starting at the beginning and doing a rewatch of it <laughs> and binging it, uh, only because like it, 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 it hits the other. Like I'm definitely a geek. 
Yes. Spoiler alert, if you didn't know. Um, but the other thing that I love is, you know, Roka and I were theater majors. Uh, yes. And we love stage plays. We love musicals. But, like, Mrs. Maisel, just the the art direction of the show, the way, the costume design, the way it captures this era of New York, and most importantly, the way that the dialogue is written almost like a Neil Simon play. Like it feels a lot of times like I'm watching something on stage more than I'm watching a TV show. And just yeah. like the the um, the flow of dialogue, just the timing of everything. And so it's just a really great show that I think is really strong. I know Roka has not watched it. And so maybe I'm not, gonna make no. him do it at some yeah. point. Yeah. So that's really, really good. Um, I just started uh, Platonic. Oh. Okay. Checking that out and yeah. uh, not not 100% sure about it yet, but yeah. like enjoying it. 100% sure that I think Rose Byrne is the funniest part. Like I, Rose Byrne is, we never, we forget that Rose Byrne is such a funny comedic actress. Yeah. Or I do sometimes at least. Um, and boy, is she funny. Yeah. She is so good. Um, I'm trying to think what are some of the other things. Silo kind of counts as a geek show, I think. Yeah. yeah. Um. But yeah, I'm trying to, but that Marvelous Mrs. Maisel is my vote for this week of the, of the non-geek thing that I think everybody should watch. Yeah, I've got to jump into that show. I really do. Just kind of take a time, take my time through it and watch a couple episodes every few days. Um, yeah, for me, the, the new season of uh, Nora from Queens, uh, I am loving the new season with Aquafina. Uh, the season finale is already next week, which kind of blew my mind that already there's a season finale. But right now, I'm into some documentaries. I've already spoken about the fact that I watched the House of Hammer documentary on HBO Max, which I highly recommend. It's three episodes, especially now that Hammer has been found not guilty or they dropped the charges on him, which I think is kind of crazy when you watch that documentary. But I just watched seven hours of this Hillsong, two Hillsong documentaries that are out right now. There's one on HBO Max. I think that's three episodes. The one on Hulu, where they talk about the preacher who uh, got pushed out, he actually shows up to to be interviewed. That is a four-episode one. It is a fascinating exploration of the power of evangelical churches here in the country. So those are the things that I'm watching right now that I'm into that are outside the world of geekdom. Also watching a couple of British shows. Happy Valley Season 3 is uh, currently on BritBox, which I'm thoroughly enjoying. I've seen it already, but I'm watching it again because I just love the show very, very much. One of the uh, good, good shows that are out there. And uh, we're making our way through Jewish matchmaking. So we're watching that as well. So those are the shows outside of the geek world that I'm thoroughly enjoying right now. Uh, Lord of Darkness also says, seeing Spider-Verse tomorrow, by the way, it's now crossed 17.4. We talked yep. about that. And Hogwarts Legacy is a vibe. Also, Ted Lasso made me cry three times in that finale. Thanks for getting me into watching it. Yeah, Mike, did you see the Lasso finale? Did you watch Ted Lasso? I haven't watched it yet. I actually, I was going to maybe watch it uh, before we did this live one this morning, and then I saw how long it was, and I was like, I will watch it this afternoon. Yeah. So, yeah, so I I, uh, I will I will be watching Ted Lasso finale later today. Uh, nice. Interested to chat about it. Yeah. Um, Spider-Verse, we talked about, super excited. And Hogwarts Legacy is absolutely a vibe. I had a friend of mine, a friend of ours, text me yesterday. He's like, what are oh. you doing? And I was like, oh, I'm just watching TV. What are you doing? And he was like, I'm making potions and breeding some unicorns. And I'm like, oh, Hogwarts Legacy. Nice. <laughs> there you go. Eric Kirby says, you guys are ranking the Spider-Man movies? Rank the comic book movies that made you cry the top three. Not for $5, Eric. You're not getting that for $5. If you gave if you gave a little bit more, maybe we rank the three that made you I mean, cry. Do you have I one that comes do it. Go ahead. What, I'll give you one. What, uh, what, a comic book movie that made me cry. Yeah. Oh, I mean, 
I'd have to think back, but uh, the Spider-Man No Way Home, <laughs> I was unprepared. Uh, what did oh, we just? Yeah. See? Oh, I had gone with um two of our two of our friends to go see West Side Story like a week before, okay. and just I love Spielberg's West Side Story. I, right. I was a puddle on the floor. I was crying, and I was like, "All right, got that out of my system. Let me go see No Way Home. This will be fun." And then um, they did me dirty with Aunt May, and I I think I grabbed. Our friend yeah. Blue, who I was, I think I like held him. Wow! As I was just like, just tears. It got me, man. It got me good. Yeah, I would absolutely. I would. I'm not gonna. We're not gonna ruin it. Spider Man No Way Home for anybody who maybe is still kind of finding their way through Spider Man movies. But yes, that scene destroyed me. Didn't see it coming at all, which destroyed me even more. I would say the Yondu scene in Guardians of the Galaxy yeah. Volume Two. You know, yeah. that was, I mean, I still can't watch that scene without breaking in half. Um, and for me, the end of Logan, um, uh, when he says to her, don't let them tell you wow. what you can be. You really folded on that top three thing real quick. You're like, I'm not going to do it for $5. And then you just dove right in, didn't you? Damn it, Eric. Give us some more money. <laughs> All right. Happy Pride, Geek Buddies. Thank you for the incredible content and keep up the hard work. Aww. Thank you. And happy Pride to you. Yeah, thank you, Isha. Eric Kirby also says, Mr. Vogel, what made you get into animation and what cartoons did you love growing up? Ooh, good question. Uh, I, I've said this before, uh, maybe on the show, but I was just talking to somebody about this in a, in a general meeting I had the other day. Ah. So I will give you the two things that really made me, like I was at an age in 1988 and 89 sure. um, when I was about at that age where I was like, oh, I should stop liking cartoons. I'm getting ready to go to middle school. <laughs> I got to be cool. I just start liking cool stuff. Like I'm not going to watch cartoons anymore. Right, uh, cool. And I was really trying to like, be like, all right, let me, let me be a grown up. Let me put that <laughs> stuff away. And then two movies came out one in 1988 and one in 1989 that solidified me being the cartoon nerd that I am today and working in animation. 88 was who framed Roger rabbit. Yes. Uh, I saw that movie. It truly blew me out of the water. And I spent that entire summer drawing pictures of Roger Rabbit, Baby Herman, Benny the Cab, and Jessica Rabbit. <laughs> and then in 1989, Little Mermaid came out, and I saw the trailer for it, and I'm like, oh, this looks like a cute kids movie. I probably shouldn't go see it as a middle school kid. I'm going to take my younger brother and sister to see it. And then the storytelling and the music and everything blew me away. And literally from Little Mermaid on, I became – in middle school into high school, I was like the Disney guy. Like I was the guy that was like obsessed with cartoons right. and knew everything about cartoons, but didn't get made fun of because like the football players would come up to me and ask me to draw Disney princesses for their girlfriends. So I was like the cool, like, Hey, can you draw princess Jasmine? My girlfriend really likes her. I'm like, sure. So that was good. And then from that point on, I was always the cartoon guy and now yeah. I still am. Yeah, that's right. Good stuff. Um, all right. Nick Alexander says, um, Spider-Verse was amazing. I already want to see it again. Ditto. Do you think this will do outdo the first in the box office? Love what you guys do. Happy pride. Happy pride. And I think it will. I, I think this is a, this is going to, this is going to uh, blow the box office of the first one out of the water um, and get people really excited for the third one. Yeah. Well, what? Uh, I say 500 million. I know that's crazy, but that's what I, I say 500 million because I think the first one did 200 something or 300 million, I think. Yeah, 384 million dollars for Into the Spider Verse. So I say five to 600 is yeah. in play, maybe even to 750. And I know y'all think I'm crazy because I think Flash is going to make two billion. Uh, Brandon, uh, Brandon says, Hey guys, I saw Little Mermaid and it was really good. 
what is the next good animated adaptation to live action that you guys are wanting to see? Prince of Egypt? Well, that's not Disney, but shit. Atlantis? Oh, man, I don't think I could handle Prince of Egypt live action. I think I'd be a mess. Uh, Roka and I Roka and I watched Prince of Egypt a lot together yes, in college. Yes. Uh, I, shocking no one. He's Ramses and I'm Moses. But... Yeah. Uh, but um, I I actually Atlantis is a really good one. So like I again yeah. I think if you listen to our review, uh, I love the original Little Mermaid. I think the new Little Mermaid did a lot of things right. Ultimately, did not love it. Yes. Um, but I think that Disney does the best when they take something that is a little bit less beloved, a little bit less iconic, where they have a little bit more freedom to do things. So my my top two choices for what I wish Disney would do. Uh, are Atlantis and Treasure Planet. I think Atlantis yeah. and Treasure Planet both... Um, I think Treasure Planet's a better animated movie than Atlantis is. I think Treasure Planet's great. I think Atlantis looks awesome and has a lot of promise, but I think because it's like a 80-something-minute movie, it just feels really rushed. And I think yeah. doing like a big, epic, two-hour, two-plus-hour live-action Atlantis, Milo Thatch and the team finding the Lost City, like... I think that would be something that would blow people away. Yeah, I agree 100% uh, with both those choices for sure. Uh, Brennan also says, is, is a Mufasa prequel actually confirmed? That would be so cool to see him and Scar potentially be partners and ultimately fight for the crown. Would you be interested in a King Triton prequel? So this will maybe surprise people because I hate the live, the, the, the live action Lion King, the Lion King remake. Like I hate it. Um, but I am oddly interested and kind of excited and intrigued about this prequel. Yeah. Mainly because yeah. it's by definition, it can't be a shot for shot remake. It's something we've never seen before. And right. if you listen to the little mermaid review of my big thing is take these beloved characters and do these live action things and tell me something new. So yeah. the idea of a full movie about a younger Mufasa and Scar and how they ended up with the relationship they did, how Scar ended up becoming who he became, like that really intrigues me. Mm. So I'm very on board for that, whether it be a musical or not. If it is a musical, you give me more songs. Like every, anytime you give me something new, I get excited. So similarly, you know, I don't think that, um, I don't think that I, as we talked about, like I don't think Javier Bardem nailed yeah. Triton for me, but. <laughs> One of the things we said in the review is I would love to know more about what Ursula did that got her banished and how yeah. she became who she became. And so if you give me a movie that's about a younger Triton and Ursula, I, I, I'm i open to it. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I, I'd, I'd love to explore that relationship a bit more because it's teased in the movie but not fleshed out enough. And for those of you who want to watch our uh, spoiler review of Little Mermaid, it is up on the channel now. We called it "Is the Little Mermaid Good or Terrible?" That's the name of the of the uh, spoiler review. But uh, definitely, you can watch it. Uh, that's up there now. Mike and I have a fun back and forth and debate everything about that movie for about an hour, for sure. As we are good at doing. <laughs> yes, it's very true. Uh, real quick, let's hit these stream labs and then we'll take a break. Jim fans says, "Hey, geek buddies, I thought across the Spider Verse was masterful. Masterful. I turned to my bro and said that was epic." Beautiful animation, incredible storytelling. Seeing it again today between the PS5 game and movie, Sony is doing Miles justice. Agree? Uh -huh. That, you know, we talk a lot about what Sony does wrong with Spider-Man. Yeah. But you are right that between um, between the animated movies and the PS5 stuff, yeah. they are 
like they are giving me a lot of miles and I love it. Yeah, a lot of miles, so to speak. Yeah, exactly. And it was great to see friend of the show, Yuri Lowenthal, popping up as his character yep. in Spider-Man. Jim Fans is also with Andy M speaking on not recasting the Flash. Right. Do you think this is all PR? Because I doubt they would speak ill of their main actor. Or do you think the director, cast, and crew legit care slash like Ezra professionally separating their personal drama? Yeah, Mike, we didn't bring this up as one of the uh, topics. That's my fault for not uh, bringing this up. But yeah, the, Andy Muschietti came out and said he is not recasting the Flash. Uh, that uh, uh, as long as he's directing it, uh, that Ezra Miller will be staying on as the Flash. Uh, and yeah, the movie's about to come out. So do you think this is something that's authentic or do you think this is being said to kind of keep all the ducks in order to make as much money as possible with this movie? I think it, I, I, you never know. So I could be 100%. I think it's authentic. I, we've, we've talked about this before. Mm-hmm. We talked about this with some of the Marvel actors like uh, Chris Pratt, as an example. Yeah. Chris Pratt ends up in the news and on Twitter a lot for... Yes some stuff that we are like, oh, that Chris Pratt, he's horrible. Yeah. But when you watch the way that the Guardians cast and James Gunn sort of defend Chris Pratt sometimes, look, everybody does weird shit and some people could be horrible people and have really good friends, but you can always kind of tell what someone's personality is based on the people they worked with and how yeah, those true. people talk about them. Because look, directors and other actors can always just be silent. Yeah. Like, apparently The Flash is a great movie. Everyone's saying it's a great movie. I don't know that Muschietti has to come out and be like, Ezra's going to be my Flash as long as I'm making these movies. He doesn't have to say that. Right. No one's right. forcing. You know, I mean, I, I think it's a genuine statement. And despite what uh, Ezra Miller has done and all the videos that we've seen of them doing yeah. the things that they've done and all of the stories that have come out about them and where they were at mentally um, in their life, um, everybody seems to think that they're doing really well in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. And everyone seems to think that this is a great movie. Yeah. And so it's going to be interesting to see how we all feel about them as the flash. Yeah. In a couple weeks after we've all seen it and discuss it. Yeah. I find out on Tuesday. So we'll see. Uh, with the full cut, by the way. Uh, Jim fans is last stream lab. LOL saw a cut of the flash a few weeks ago. Got to say the real stars of this film are Andy Muschietti and the writers, not the best superhero movie of all time, but it's very good. It's like back to the future meets superheroes. Keaton was my MVP. Oh, well, that's good to know. I, I can't wait. Forward. I can't wait. Y'all. Ooh, I'm excited. I know me too. And uh, last one here from Mexico with love. Hola cabrones. How amazing was spider verse? The animation choices when Gwen, is talking to her dad or jaw-dropping. It feels great to watch artists in their prime knowing exactly what they want to do and delivering on all fronts. Loved it. Yeah, I mean, this film, when it finally comes out for home video, the analysis that I'm going to see on YouTube from people is going to be really, really fascinating to experience and explore. Uh, But yeah, yeah, and I agree. Yeah, artists in their prime doing exactly uh, what they want to do. It does feel like that, Michael. It feels like when you watch that movie that everyone is in peak performance mode across the board and you're getting something of that level by the time the movie is over for sure. So Oh man, I I might just like <laughs> I might just I might just get wasted after this and pass out until tomorrow so I can go see the movie. Like I I don't know if I can wait anymore. I'm going again today. I've cleared my schedule. I've already pre-recorded shows for my Friday, so I'm going to go this afternoon and see it. Maybe right down. If I didn't commit to going to the gym a second time today, uh, I might have gone. But I have. I did a gym. I did. I did a pre-Geek Buddies gym, and I'm doing a post-Geek Buddies gym. Yes. And then with the Pride plans tonight, I don't think I can squeeze it. If I could squeeze just sneaking off to go see it, 
I would potentially do it. We'll see. We'll yeah. see. We'll see. We'll see. All right, let's take a quick break. And on the other side of the break, we are going to rank our Spider-Man movies. And we'll end the show with Michael having some suggestions for Pride for you all. If you want to send in some more Streamlabs and Super Chats, now's the time as we're going to be wrapping up the show here after we do these next two segments right after this. Fuck, I just blanked on every gay song. Shit. <laughs> Why? Shit. There! Oh, God! How? How did I forget that one? Come on, man. Oh, Come on. John Roca, still the gayest straight ally there is. <laughs> As Jamie Tart says, thank you. Thank you. Um, oh, wrong, wrong uh, brand there. Sorry about that. Went a little too high. Uh, all right, let's uh, let's move on to this. All right, Mike, it's time. Da, 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 da. It's time to rank our Spider-Man movies. I, how do you want to do this? You think a uh, bottom four and then top four? Because there's only eight, right? Or do you have more, Michael? Did you have more? I only have eight. One, two, three, four, five, six. Did you? Oh, are you not counting? Are you not counting Spider Verse? I am counting Spider Verse. So maybe there's more than eight, and if there is, then I'll uh, I'll adjust it. There are. Hold on. Make sure I'm counting this right. There's the three Raimi movies. Yes. The two uh, Garfield movies. Yes. The three holland movies what's the third holland movie <gasps> no way oh, home oh yes okay go and then ahead. you've got into the spider-verse and across the spider-verse so there's 10 Spider-Man well I, movies. I, I didn't put across the spider-verse because you hadn't seen it i'm gonna tell you what and i'm a spoiler alert of my list i went ahead and jumped ahead and put across the spider-verse as number one even though i haven't seen it yet because i am that sure that it's going to be my number one i was like you know what i haven't seen it but i'm 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 okay. putting it at number one all right, all right. I guess I'm putting it. Uh, I I wouldn't have it on my list out of respect because you hadn't seen it. But no, nope. you know what? I like I was doing it, and I was like, oh man, I haven't seen this one yet. And I was like, you know what? I'm like, look, I looked at Twitter. I scrolled it for like two seconds. I go, fuck it, number one, cross the Spider Verse. Let's go. <laughs> all right, let's do it then. Uh, let's just go up the rankings, and then we'll have our uh, debates and battles as we go along. Uh, what is your number ten? Number ten Spider Man movie. Number ten Spider Man movie. Right, is you have 10 right yeah 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 okay. uh number 10 spider-man movie is but 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 spider-man 3 yeah yeah agreed agreed think there's no debate on that one i've seen articles coming out recently where they try to defend the movie is there anything to defend in this movie mike uh I think that the only thing that you can say about Spider-Man 3 is that they made Flint Marco more of a character than he really was a lot of the times in the comics. Like Sandman, Spider-Man has this thing where like everyone says Batman's rogues gallery and Spider-Man's rogues gallery is the best. But when you really break it down, Spider-Man has like some heavy hitters and then he has a bunch of characters that have awesome powers or cool costumes but don't have a lot of personality. And I think Flint Marco as Sandman was always one that you were like, "Uh, what do we really have about him? And so giving Flint Marco the daughter, making that his motivation, I think is good. Okay. But man, I think almost everything else in that movie is horrible. (laughs) Like it's bad. (laughs) All right. Fair enough. What's your number nine? And I agree, by the way. I agree with everything Michael just said as well. Not much redeeming. And even Bryce Dallas Howard as Gwen Stacy is a... Utter waste. Uh, yeah, not- utter waste. Utter waste. Uh, number nine, probably, I don't know there's a lot of debate here either, Amazing Spider-Man 2. Yes, my number nine as well. Yes. 
uh, just thank God they uh, tweaked Electro for No Way Home because holy <laughs> shit. And yeah, the way they just sort of flubbed the death of Gwen Stacy. Oh, man. Really kind of unforgivable. Like that's like there are certain beats and moments of a comic of, of comic book history. Yeah. And the death of Gwen Stacy is one of like the majors. Yeah. And boy, they did they did not land that plane. It was like the last half hour was like going, uh, 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 hey, we did it. And it was like, oh, oh my God, it's horrible. What have you done? It was so frustrating for sure. Yeah. I will say, Tony, Tony Peluso says in the chat, I don't know. Ooh. I think Amazing Spidey 2 is worse than Spider-Man 3. I'm not going to lie to you. I debated it a little bit. Like I, I really, those two, there was definitely a, oh, which one of these? Yeah. And ultimately, I then thought of Tobey Maguire doing his little dance, and that yeah. kind of put it at the bottom. But but you, there's an argument to be made for either one of them. Yeah, who's the guy from the '70s show who plays Venom? What's the Topher Grace. Name? Yeah, Topher Grace. Like, he's another reason to keep it at the bottom. Topher is terrible as Venom. There's no chemistry between um, uh, uh, Toby and Bryce Dallas Howard. So that's no. A, so the thing that elevates Amazing Spider-Man to do at least number nine is the chemistry between Emma Stone and Andrew Garfield. I like that chemistry. So that's why I put it there. But And then the Rhino thing is horrific. Oh, my Oof. God. Woof. Um, here's where we start to have some interesting differences, I think, in our rankings. Michael, what is your number eight? What is your number eight? My, I'm, okay. You're going to yell at me. What is your number eight? The first Spider-Man movie with Tobey Maguire is my number eight. Yeah. The first, the first Spider-Man movie is my number eight. We have the same one. We're still the same. Nice. I thought this is. I thought you were going to yell at me. I, I and I people no. in the chat can yell at us. Like, sure. Sam Raimi's original Spider-Man movie. I do not. I didn't love. Yeah. I. I love. How do I say this? When the when that Spider-Man movie came out. Yeah. Seeing Spider-Man web sling on the big screen was thrilling. Of course. It was It was awesome amazing. Yeah. But and Willem Dafoe as Norman Osborn was a campy masterpiece. Uh -huh. But as soon as he put on that Power Rangers outfit as Green Goblin, I was out. Yeah. I was out. Didn't love. Yeah, I agree. I never really bought the Kirsten Dunst as Mary Jane. That just did never really worked for me. And I think James Franco is doing some of the worst acting in his career all through these Sam Raimi movies. I mean, I liked Franco. I saw that James Dean movie he did on TNT, and I was like, this is a great actor. And then you watch him in these movies, and he's just like, hey, Peter. Hey. There's not much going on. And now in retrospect, well, when I watch it, it doesn't really work. It really it doesn't. doesn't. And I'll give you a here's a little here's a little writing tip. Here's a little story structure tip. Yeah. Um, if your villain has a goal, and they meet that goal halfway through the movie, yeah. the back half of the movie isn't very interesting. Yeah. So when right. Norman Osborn is like, I'm gonna steal this suit, and I'm gonna kill everybody on my board so that I can do whatever I want, and then he does it. <laughs> yeah. That's, okay. also, that's also known as pulling a Vince McMahon. You don't kill everybody on your board, but you figuratively kill everybody on your board. All right. So what's your number seven? Now that we've got that controversial choice. Ooh, out of the I thought, I thought we were going to have a fight. Um, no way. So my number seven is yeah. the amazing Spider-Man. Oh, okay. Here's where we differ. Yeah. Mine's a little bit higher on that one, but go ahead. Yes. So, or, well, what's yeah. your number? What's your number seven? Well, so uh, my number seven is Spider-Man far from home. 
<laughs> so we, how, we did get to the battle. We did get to the battle. very dare. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's okay. The European locations, eh, the st- I, I love the stuff with him and Zendaya. I love the stuff with him and Happy on the ship for sure. But I don't know. Jake Gyllenhaal gets a little much for me in that movie as Mysterio. And the whole idea of, oh, we've been working on this behind the scenes without you knowing it with the former Stark people. Uh, you know, I was like, okay, fine. But it doesn't, I just didn't like Jake 100% in the movie. And then the way they screw him over at the end, I'm like, uh, okay, fine. I love the JJ stuff with the JK, uh, J, yeah, JK Freeman coming back. I love that. J.K. Simmons, sorry, coming back. I knew that was wrong. J.K. Simmons coming back. Um, I love that, but like overall, I just thought the film. I don't. I don't find myself wanting to put it on the whole. I I, Jackson twist as well. I love it. I'm the opposite of you. Okay. Like it's not. We'll we'll get to where I have some rankings, but I will say so. No, you know what? I'm gonna save. I'm gonna save my defense of that movie until I get to it. But I will say so. Amazing Spider-Man one, um, is higher than Raimi's Spider-Man to me because. As we already said, like a lot of aside from seeing Spider-Man on the big screen, a lot of Sam, a lot of Raimi's vibe doesn't really work for me. Um, I don't think Amazing Spider-Man is the best movie in the world. Right. But holy shit. Andrew Garfield and Emma Stone have stupid chemistry in this movie. Yeah. Like, like the level of chemistry that they have is so through the roof yeah. that it's like palpable through the screen and watching the two of them flirt with each other is miles and miles of fun. Mm-hmm. Kurt Connors, they do a decent job of. Yeah, I like what you said. The lizard, the lizard, the lizard mm-hmm. stuff is fun. Um, Sally Field is in the movie. Yeah. Automatically, you know, Sally Field and Martin Sheen as yeah. Aunt May and Uncle Ben. I do love that Aunt May just gets younger and younger and younger in each version. But <laughs> uh, And I think Andrew Garfield, in retrospect, seeing mm-hmm. how perfect Tom Holland is, uh, he's not the perfect, but his wisecracking nature, yeah. his sort of fun that he was having in Spider-Man is something that Toby never quite nailed in the same way. Yeah. Uh, so I think he's kind of a better Spider-Man than Toby was. Wow, that's a strong statement right there. Um, yeah, I agree with you on all the points on Amazing Spider-Man. Uh, I, that's why it's a little higher for me on my list because I really enjoyed what we got with Andrew Garfield and the chemistry. Absolutely right. I think it's perfect, stupid chemistry between them. But also the stuff with Dennis Leary really works as yeah, Gwen's dad. as uh, as Captain Stacy. Captain Stacy. I mean, the scene with them on the roof near the end. Man, that's a really powerful scene. And I was a guy who wasn't sure about Dennis Leary as an actor until Rescue Me and this movie that I was like, oh wow, this motherfucker can act. So. So that, I thought he did an excellent job. So I liked the and I liked the chances that it took. Like they didn't pay it off in the second one, but there was a nice. It was interesting that there was stuff going on with Peter's dad. What was the subway car? Like yeah. there's something stuff here that was a little bit of mystery thrown into Spider Man that we hadn't seen before. Plus, I liked the direction. I really enjoyed the direction of the movie as well. So I, that's why I have it a little. I bit I think Amazing Spider Man has a lot of potential as a Spider Man franchise. That Amazing Spider Man Two just like threw yeah. in the toilet. Yeah, really sank. Such a shame. Um, all right, so then what's your number six, man? My number six is Spider-Man 2. Um, oh, wow. You've dropped Spider-Man 2 to number six. All right. Have you watched Spider-Man 2 recently? I did. It's a little dated, but there's still magic to it. But There, all there right. is. All right. we're, we're getting close to the territory of my list where I'm like, nothing, no, nothing 
above this is bad. Okay, fair. Like fair. Spider-Man 2, Spider-Man 2 and X-Men 2 fall into this category for me oh, of yeah. there was a there was a solid decade where as geeks we all agreed that X-Men 2 and Spider-Man 2 were the greatest superhero movies ever made. You're absolutely right. Yes. And for that decade they were. Mhm. Mm like X-Men 2 got everything right. It had a budget that the first X-Men didn't. It was awesome. And yeah. Spider-Man 2 with Doc Ock was a way better villain than that their version of Norman Osborn was. Yeah. The story made sense. It was great. Like it it was a it, you had some iconic moments like Peter on the sub in front of the subway or the train. Yeah. Like there there was these great moments in the modern superhero era where we have sort of perfected the superhero, not per, so, sometimes perfected, not always, yeah. but where we, we have much stronger superhero films, yeah. you go back and look at it and the cheese factor is through the roof. Yeah. It just doesn't hold up. The, the Raimi um, flares, the horror movie screams as yeah. the Doc Ock things are just like, yeah, it, yeah. Doesn't, it doesn't quite land uh, for a modern movie going aesthetic. Yeah, I think there are a lot of us, Mike, and we discovered this in Multiverse of Madness. I think there are a lot of us who loved Sam Raimi in the early 2000s. But then as we got older and we got more, we got other directors to come in and do incredible work with superhero movies, we started to turn on Sam Raimi. And I think this is another example, putting it at number six, the film that had been universally considered one of the greatest superhero films ever made. It does feel dated at times. Like I have it higher, a little bit higher, we'll get to it, but my thoughts on it but just overall i do understand why you might have it lower because it does feel dated when you watch it so what's yours uh, my number six is uh spider-man homecoming i will i'm done with geek buddies live episode <laughs> over live episode over guys i'm out i'm out i mean i like i like spider-man homecoming and I really enjoy the Tom Holland stuff and the interaction. Of course, the May stuff was super. Maybe, maybe I move it up another. Maybe I move it above Sp Amazing Spider-Man. Maybe, maybe. But I, I, I do like it. I think it's a great introduction of Sp of Tom Holland. You have Homecoming below Amazing Spider-Man. I do. I just kind of like Amazing Spider-Man. Oh, Guys, you know, Homecoming a little oh. bit. Um, the stuff with Vulture gets a little. Like I love Michael Keaton as Vulture certainly, and certainly there's the dread of all of that but the daughter is so boring it doesn't quite have that oof that you want it to have and i do enjoy zendaya obviously uh and ned those are great characters to throw in of course aunt may and the robert downey jr scene is really fun as well um but it, i i just think there it feels a little too simple for what i wanted to see from a spider-man movie and so i keep it where it's at and i but i don't find myself wanting to turn it on Whereas I do turn on Amazing Spider-Man and occasionally watch scenes or occasionally watch some of the uh, stuff that goes on in that movie a little bit more. Then there, there isn't a danger to Spider-Man Homecoming until that one scene in the car between Keaton and him when he realizes that uh, uh, Peter is Spider-Man. But other than that, I don't really sense the danger and the cheesiness with the arm and the selling, the, like the stuff with Bokeem Woodbine and stuff. That's all cheesy stuff for me. So it doesn't quite 100% work as strongly as it does for other people. So this is my favorite. Mm. Interesting. There we go. Interesting. Um, all right. Well, let's throw in a quick break and then we'll get into our top fives and then uh, uh, get into the pride stuff and we'll roll on out of here um, right after this. 
Da 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 da, homosexual gay pride. Da 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 da, homosexual gay pride. Da da, hey, it's gay pride. I tried to do double duty. I tried to do double duty on that one. That's good. Thank you. Thank you. Um, all right, so let's get to number five. What's your number five, brother? So my number five is Spider-Man: Far From Home. Oh, Far From Home. Oh, so it's a little bit higher. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. So Far From Home, uh, I think, is the third best out of the Tom Holland Spider-Man movies. But I think it's a great movie. I will disagree with Roka. I think that um, uh, I think that coming off of uh, Endgame Mm -hmm. and having Peter be like, I am fucked up about this Tony Stark shit that went down. I don't know where I fit in the superhero universe. I just went to space and I just want a fucking break from everything is a great kickoff. I yes. think that this is where Zendaya really shines. You know, she has, she's good in homecoming, but uh, this is where their relationship blossoms and yeah. their chemistry might not quite be Andrew Garfield and Emma Stone level, but it is damn close. Yep. Yep. Like their adorable factor together and her kind of figuring out that he's Spider-Man is like, it's, it's all really, really fun. Um, the night monkey stuff is really funny. Like it's all, there's just a lot of really fun bits. It feels, and look, this is, you're either on board for this or not, but the Spider-Man movies, the, the Tom Holland Spider-Man movies have this John Hughes high school kind of vibe to them that if you like that, it really works for you. Um, the Mysterio thing, I think, I think a consistent thing through all the Spider-Man movies, the Tom Holland Spider-Man movies is taking subpar villains and making them not subpar. Mm. And Mysterio making him have having worked on Tony Stark's uh, holographic image projector, whatever it was called from Civil War, um, and hating Tony Stark and putting together this plan and kind of becoming this sort of new Tony Stark sort of uh, um, uh, guide for Peter Parker. Yeah, yeah, I think was all really, really smart. Um, and like that whole sequence when Mysterio goes full Mysterio on Peter later in the movie is yeah, just yeah, an yeah. epic. It is a perfect Mysterio sequence brought to life in live action. Mm-hmm. And then I think it's a thrilling third act finale. And then you end the movie with outing Spider-Man, which was, yeah. I still think one of the best post credit scenes in any Marvel movie. I, I so like that, yeah. it, it's, it's up there for me. I think, I think it is. I don't disagree that maybe ultimately going on a European vacation was a little bit of a weird choice, but I think it ultimately kind of works for the story they want to tell, gave us some really fun set pieces in different places, uh, and it works for me. And there's a little bit of charm with Ned and uh, the uh, and Gory Rice playing the actress who plays that character having that Betty Brant. Betty Brant. She's Betty. Yeah, Brand. Betty Brant having Brand? that whirlwind romance over that time as well. Yeah, and that's well, that's what I mean. Like, there's sort of um, throughout the movie, there's sort of this like that ro- that summer romance kind of vibe, and like you have Ned and Betty over here, yeah. kind of like oh, we're 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 not into each other. We're into each other. We're super in love. We've decided to break up while you have Peter and Zendaya Zendaya figuring things out. And it's just, uh, it's just adorable. Yeah. Which maybe like ultimately in the big scheme of comic book movies is not something you, you want epic, you want masterpiece, you want the stuff, but I find Spider-Man far from home to be adorable. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Fair point. Uh, My number five is amazing Spider-Man, which we already spoke about and I already gave my uh, two cents about. So what's your number four? Number four is Spider-Man Homecoming. 
Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, so, anything more you want to add to that? Yeah, go ahead. Well, I will just say that, like, I think that um, the mis- with, with Spider-Man movies, you're like, Spider-Man is such a popular character that there's this desire to just come out swinging. We're doing Venom. Yeah. We're doing Green Goblin. We're doing this epic thing. And I think that they actually made the right choice. Yeah. I think that uh, starting the movie with sort of his little video recap of his trip to Germany from Civil yeah, War yeah. is a great way to get things off. I think him kind of thinking he's an Avenger now and then getting kind of right. smacked down by Tony and ignored is really fun. I think they use – I'm I'm one of – I don't hate that he is sort of uh, Iron Man's Robin in the Marvel yeah. universe. Yeah, like I, 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 I think I that was a fun choice. Yeah. And I think this relationship between the two of them works really well. And then the big thing, I think, I think Vulture is a dumb villain. <laughs> like you mean in the dumb comics, villain. in the, comics, in, the but... in the classic comics, like he was yeah. always kind of a dumb villain. Yeah, so yeah. anytime you can do something interesting with Adrian Toomes is great. Um, and I think again, opening the movie in the aftermath of the Avengers uh, battle of New York, and kind of setting this up that there's all this alien tech in the world and that's where he gets his stuff and he's selling it. I was like, oh, that's an interesting take. He's an interesting thing. But then, and you did speak to this, but the moment that you find out, like I gay gasped in the theater on the first, when we went to see it, when Peter knocks on Liz's door yeah. and Michael Keaton opens it, <laughs> I gay gasped in the theater so loud that people laughed. Like it was a brilliant that that by itself elevates it to me to like that's a brilliant choice and then the sequence in the car where they're at a red light and the moment that keaton realizes who peter parker is the light turns green on his face i was like that's cinema get out of (laughs) here As Scorsese would say, that's cinema. Um, all right, my number four is Spider-Man 2, which I think we already talked about. But I'll, I'll say this. Yeah, I, I, it's the Doc Ock stuff that really solidifies yeah, it it's fair. still. Yeah, I mean, it, there's such a great – I mean, I got emotional in Spider-Man No Way Home when uh, Alfred Molina just asks Peter, how are you? Like, it, I, even just saying the line decimates me inside. I'm trying to keep from crying because I just loved their connection throughout that whole movie. The idea of having a mentor – who ends up being getting you know kind of twisted and and turned around because of these temptations, these things that are going, the pain that he's in, the anger and the frustration. It works so well to see that and Peter being this sentiment. Plus, when Peter's holding that thing up, having the interaction with MJ, that's a great scene when he's like trying to keep it from falling on her and everything like that. So I love that we're seeing a, a fleshing out more of Peter in this second film, him kind of standing up for himself, even if he's questioning how him being Spider-Man will affect everyone around him. So I like that, the Aunt May stuff. There's just more of that fleshed out for me in this movie than the first movie that I kind of really enjoyed. Plus, of course, the Christ pseudo, uh, you know, uh, Messiah uh, yes. uh, savior scene in the train when he's being carried. That Super. was... Awesome. The super, the super subtle Christ imagery. Yeah, right. Super really, the really subtle nod to that. No, look, I think I, I do think yeah. that everything you say about Spider-Man Two that's good. Yeah, I don't disagree with you that all that stuff is good, and it is more fleshed out than the first Spider-Man movie. Like, yeah, I yeah. think that's true. I just think that the the Sam Raimi cheese factor and just the cheese factor of that era sort of does bring it down. Like, I and not not shocking looking at my list. I I love the Tom Holland Spider-Man movies. Yeah, I think yeah. they just, they they managed to like tonally nail Spider-Man while giving me a version of Spider-Man that I've never seen before just because yeah. he's the MCU Spider-Man. Like they're taking everything in the MCU that is different from the comics as you developed over three uh, phases. Yeah. And that automatically puts him in a different position. And I like that story. So yeah. 
with you. I'm a little biased in that sense. Okay. Uh, all right. What's your number? So we're up to our top three here. So what's your number three? No Way Home. Ah, yes. That's uh, three. Three. Yes, yes. That is my No Way Home as well. Yes, yes. So included across. The in the world of live action, I think yeah. Spider-Man No Way Home is like the perfect Spider-Man movie. Um, I, I think that's a movie that we are all really excited about that I think we were also nervous about because that movie shouldn't be good. Yes, right. Like, we're going to do this to- a third a third Spider-Man movie that pays off the Tom Holland storyline and the Zendaya and the Ned and all these characters, but also Doctor Strange is in it. Yes. And also, we're going to bring in all the villains from the other Spider-Man movies, and also we're going to do Toby, and we're going to do Andrew. Yeah. And then we're going to do this whole Aunt May bit. Like, like just all of it should have toppled under its own weight. Yeah. And the yeah. fact that it didn't and that, to me, it's actually the strongest of the three movies is amazing. I think the fact that they used Aunt May the way they did. I don't know why yeah. I'm not spoiling this. It came out a year ago, but Roka said he wasn't going to spoil it. So now I, I feel guilty. But like, yeah, yeah, yeah. so the way they use Aunt May the way they did, um, yeah. I think, is a stroke of sheer brilliance agreed um and like dude that scene when peter is on the roof uh having his emotional breakdown and then toby and andrew are there for him and they all share in this moment is like it just gets me every single time and the best thing the thing that i am most impressed with you know, I said the best thing about these Tom Holland Spider-Man movies is that they take kind of lamer villains and make yeah. them cool. So they made Vulture really interesting to me for the first time. They took Mysterio and added all of this Tony Stark, all MCU stuff to it that made him real. He was lying about the multiverse. Like, it was all just like, that's great. Yeah. Then they took Willem Dafoe's Green Goblin, who is one of the main reasons that the Sam Raimi Spider-Man is so low on my list yeah, yeah, yeah. and turned him into Tom Holland Spider-Man's biggest foe. Yeah. And made him awesome. Yeah. That I did not think was even possible to do and they did it. Yeah. They redeemed both Electro and Green Goblin. Yep. If you had any issues with them from the Raimi films and from the, um, oh God, who directed, I forgot, I can't forget the director of the, the Amazing Spider-Man films. But yeah, they, they, they redeemed them and did such a good job with this. But also, the thing is, here's this this film is such a perfect crystallization of what the difference is between Spider-Man and Batman, right? Spider-Man lost his parents as well. Batman lost his parents. But Spider-Man was raised here in the situation of Aunt May and Uncle Ben. And you see, well, Aunt May, there's no uncle. We don't know what happened with Uncle Ben. It doesn't really, it doesn't really talked about that much. But Aunt he May. Went, he, went, he went and started a rice factory. <laughs> That's boy that's a whole nother conversation but yes and then and, and he's raised by alfred right it's two different approaches now people always criticize batman he lets them go he lets them go so does spider-man the difference is spider-man still believes these villains are redeemable so mm-hmm. spider-man infinitely believes for the rest of time that there is a way there's a path forward i may not always agree with spider-man and his redemption beliefs but I think it's important to have that energy in a comic book universe, to have somebody who is strong and certainly symbolizes maybe the top Marvel character to say, no, I still think there's a way for them to figure this out. I feel bad that their life turned out this way. I, I hope that hopefully at some point they'll be able to find their path back to the light. 
With Batman, it is, you know, they are all villains. They're all criminals. But he does want them to find a way out and stop being criminals. But it's a much more harder edge to it, right? There's much yeah. more vindictiveness that he's working out. And I think in No Way Home, you see that with every one of his interactions with Electro, with Sandman, with Lizard, with uh, 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 Doc Ock, and with, um, with Green Goblin. Even Aunt May tells him not to blame Green Goblin because of, you know, like you've got to believe in the best of people. And I love that. And that scene on the roof that you mentioned with all three Spider-Man after he, what has happened with Aunt May, that is in the top five greatest Spider-Man yeah. scenes ever. Just ever. And so, yeah. I don't think it's a hard thing when you have this many characters in a movie, particularly yeah. good guy characters. Uh, it's hard to kind of figure out what everyone's perspective is. Why is everybody either working together or not working together? And so right. They, right. they made a really clear distinction and it's like, and it's smart because it's a distinction that is the emotional core of the movie, yeah. which is Dr. Strange is like, whoa, we pulled these people out of another universe. Not my monkeys, not my circus. Right, we need to put right. them back. They'll put them back. Doesn't matter. And then Peter, and then Aunt May is like, hey, it doesn't matter where these guys came from. If you yeah. can help them, if if you have the power to help them, you have the responsibility to help them. Right, exactly. So you have Peter in the middle figuring out what to do, and you have Aunt May on one side, and you have Doctor Strange on the other side, and then you have Zendaya and Ned being like, Peter, we have your back no matter what. Dude, you got to stop banging the desk. You I know, I'm sorry. I get really mad. I'm really <laughs> passionate about this. But like, yeah. but like, so I think that like that's – so when you're thinking about like structuring a story and you know, you got Marvel and Sony and you're like, here's what we're doing with Spider-Man three. It's like everyone yeah. in the kitchen sink, sussing out where everybody is in relation to your main character is like a hard thing to do. And when you do it well, yeah, yeah. like the way they did, it's like, okay, well, Dr. Strange's perspective is here. Aunt May's perspective is here. Here's your team. Peter, what are you going to decide? And yeah. all of a sudden, it feels really simple when you lay it out. But like getting there and figuring it out as you're trying to put together that story is very hard. So the fact that they did it is why it's so high on my list. And also that finale. I mean, just the interactions they all have in that finale are just incredible. And the the way that's directed action sequence-wise is, is just off the charts and having that moment where they check in with each other after they've tried to fight together for the first time, and they're like, okay, how do we actually figure this out? And then Garfield, you find out that impromptu I love you guys that that popped out of his mouth. It, it's so great yeah. to know that they've got that. So the easy chemistry of the three of them as well really elevates the film. I will um, say CB, CB in the chat really quick. Yeah. Let's just – I do think we need to address this. Like, yes – the way that they resolve it, where he's like, just make everybody forget that I was ever to forget about me. There's like five different versions of that that he could have said that wouldn't have ended as bad for him. So yeah, you do get to yeah. the end of the movie and yeah. he's like, make everyone forget. And here's the trade-off that I will just, yeah. it's I'm not defending it because you could have resolved that, but I yeah. think the payoff long-term of what we're going to get in these next Spider-Man movies yeah, and getting yeah. to go back to a Peter Parker that doesn't have Stark tech, that doesn't have a bunch of friends that can't yeah. call up the Avengers and really is having, is having to Spider-Man on his own. Yeah. Even if the way they got there was admittedly a little bit clunky, I'm excited about the storytelling potential of what that is. Yeah. Uh, they did so many things right in that movie and cleared as high a bar as you've ever seen for a film that I'm okay with that little bit of clunkiness at the end there. I'm actually totally fucking fine with it. So, um, all right. What's your, our number twos, I guess are the same into, into the, the spider -verse. verse. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah, and look, yeah I mean, like please. we've been yeah. talking about the spider verse movies for most of this episode, but yeah, I just think it, um, 
if you read the Miles Morales run, Bendis's run of Miles <laughs> Morales when they introduced him, so um, they did such a great job. Of, it's a great story. And the mm -hmm. Uncle Aaron stuff is all there. It's all really great. But the way they adapted that story yeah. for the big screen and then brought in the multiverse stuff with old Peter and Spider-Gwen, like it into the Spider-Verse is its own thing. It is not a retelling of the introduction of Miles Morales in the comics. Yeah. It's this whole other thing. And it's so artfully done. And it just nails what's special about spider-man the entire yeah. Yeah. uh anyone can be under the mask the multiple or origin stories they go through where like gwen yeah. tells her origin story and peter tells his origin story and spider him yeah. uh and just yeah. the fact that there's all of these spider-men and that in the middle of this whole movie is miles figuring out who he wants to be as a person and then the way they do the uncle aaron stuff and oh, the man. way that uncle aaron is his uncle ben it's yeah. just they, they, it just nailed in a di and then that's not even getting into the visual style, which is yeah. just stupidly gorgeous. Yeah. It was such a groundbreaking film for so many reasons uh, in its approach. I think it elevated animated superhero films in a way that very few have ever done in the history of animated films, period, let alone animated superhero films. It was incredible. You're right, Michael. The visual styles is where you have to start with all the different way. I mean, I rewatched it about an hour of it again last night as I was just messing around with stuff after the NBA Finals game. I was like, oh, it was on. Fuck it. I'm going to watch an hour of it. And it's, it's just kind of mind-blowing how absolutely perfect the film is in its approach to its style and its vibe that it wants you to get. And the way it tells this story of a multiracial kid that doesn't pander to one side or the other. Yes, he's having a very American life, but he's got these influences of a black experience and a Latino experience coursing through him as he's also finding mentorship from a white Spider-Man and having this interaction with Spider-Gwen and having that all kind of color where he's going after because he's trying to figure out who he is. We've all gone through that as teenagers. Who am I? What's my voice? Right. Where do I belong? How do I stand on my own? Yes, I am reminiscent of something that came before me, but how do I make it my own? And so all of that courses through this film so powerfully so that you're connected to the universal experience on a human emotional level, but then everything else you're, you're dazzled by, it just gives it more of an effect on you as a viewer because the emotional story works so well and resonates with you at a very primal, instinctual level. Yeah and visceral level as well so yeah um so our number ones are the same even though michael can't really talk because he hasn't seen it cross the spider-verse guys my favorite spider-man movie of all time here's the reasons why yes yes i will tell you on monday <laughs> there you go uh i've already spoken about it. i'm not going to say anything more you've seen my tweets uh and uh it's just incredible go and see it and and, and uh it is as groundbreaking as the first into the spider-verse movie even times two Times five, even in certain moments, uh, and it'll blow your mind. Did I, did all right? I'm gonna ask you. Okay. I'm gonna ask you. Okay, you're only torturing yes, no yourself, but go ahead. Yes. Were you happy with Miguel O'Hara? The level of happy I was. Okay. Okay. Woo! I was nervous for a minute is, there. Okay. No, okay. No. Because the Michael noses. I I collected Spider Man 2099. Loved Spider Man 2099. I still have the single issues in boxes back at my mother's house in Virginia. I have those, but those are cherished things. So when they introduced him at the end of Into the Spider-Verse, I was like, what are they doing with this? And when they said he was going to be a significant character, I was, okay, let's see how you make this work. And 
they made it work. That's I just he's so powerful in this movie and Oscar Isaac delivering a great performance vocally uh, and of course acting was in the film as well. So yes, very very right. happy. I was I had other questions but I'm not going to ask. I refrain okay. I refrain my questions. I'm now <laughs> now I don't I don't need to know anymore. I don't need to know anymore. I'm good. All right, let's hit a couple of these Streamlabs and then we'll get to the Pride sequence here. Mike, and we'll wrap up. I know we're almost at an hour and 45 minutes. For, real quick, please remember to subscribe to the channel. Hit that subscribe button. Hit that bell button so you see when we're dropping all the content we do here. Uh, Dirty Mother Talzin says, Across the Spider-Verse was amazing and surprisingly really touching. Yes, that's the number one thing. The heart of that film as well. If anyone is craving more Lord Miller, they're currently airing a new season of Clone High. 20 which years is later great. on Max. And it is which pretty, is pretty great. Yeah. It's so smart. Oh, okay. Clone High back in the day was smart, but the Clone High, the way they've kind of finangled this 20 years later season is yeah. brilliant. Yeah. Boy, fair point. I, I need to catch up on Clone High. I've never seen it, so I should watch. You'll love it. Oh, there we go. Doug Developer says, loved Spider-Man 2. The train scene to me is one of the greatest comic book movie scenes ever. Seeing Peter scream in excruciating pain when trying to save the passengers gets me emotional every time. No wonder it has over 100 million views on YouTube, that scene. Yeah, yeah. Well, we talked about it. I yeah. agree. That scene is fantastic, even though Michael may feel it's a bit on the nose. I just don't think it's just, just really subtle. It's very subtle. <laughs> Uh, and one last uh, super chat here uh, from um, Andy Sewell. Uh, let me see if I can bring it up here. He says, uh, Clayton Davis of Variety put out a piece saying Across the Spider-Verse should be best picture contender. Would you agree or disagree? Uh, yes, I agree. And I, I said this, and I think in my tweet or on the hot mic last night, it should absolutely be considered for best picture. It is in my top three of the year so far. We're in June. So I would absolutely put it, that in my picture. I also agree having not seen it, that it should be a contender. <laughs> but no, just in general. I mean, you know, it, it's the it's the plus and minus of having that best animated film category. Yeah, That, like, right, Beauty right. and the Beast broke through in, what, 91? Um, yeah. And was the first animated film that was nominated for Best Picture because they were like, fuck, this movie is that good. Yeah, and yeah, then yeah. a little bit later, they're like, you know what? Animated movies are pretty good. Let's give them their own category. And it all of a sudden became like this reason not to put animated movies in the Best Picture category. Right. Um, and I'm really hoping that if it's not across the Spider-Verse, it's something else. But like we need you can have it's just like foreign films. You know, it's yeah. just like you can have Parasite be in Best for because Parasite was in both, right? Yes, it was. Wasn't it? Best yeah, you can and, and, you can yeah. have like, hey. Across the Spider-Verse could be the best animated movie of the year. And it also might be the best picture of the year. Yeah. And I think like the, the day that we get that, I will be a very happy person. Agreed. Yeah. And I think it should absolutely be nominated. And Clayton is absolutely right. Cause he also said dark Knight should have been nominated as well, which it should have been, which yep. started the whole 10 numbers. All right, Mike, let's wrap up uh, with your suggestions. You know, we're, we're in the second day of pride month here going on in, in, in the United States. I don't know. Is it global? Is it global pride? I mean, listen, pride is go. <laughs> Gay people, gay people love a party. Okay, fair enough. So Pride just sort of rolls through the summer at like it's this this weekend is Pride here, this weekend is Pride here. Yeah, I think November is Pride in Palm Springs. So oh, okay. in Los Angeles, Pride is this weekend, but June is Pride Month. So okay. uh, despite the fact that gay people will celebrate and be proud for yes. as long as we can party until we collapse, yeah. um, yes, June is Pride Month. So this is the month that every giant corporation posts happy pride and rainbows and then forgets about us on July 1st. But we'll take it. It's great. For June, let's 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 all just celebrate and being gay. There you go. All right. So what can you recommend film and TV wise 
for people to check out and enjoy in the spirit of Pride Month. So yeah, so look, Roka asked me this. Roka asked me this. And, you know, look, there's all the classics that are great. Uh, I just watched Kevin Klein's In and Out from uh, the early 90s the other night with some friends. Great, fun, ridiculous snapshot of the way everybody looked at gay in the early 90s there's the birdcage there's two wong fu but for our geek audience uh here are a couple things that i thought would be good if you have not watched heartstopper on netflix okay um highly recommend okay whereas a lot of gay content is about struggle uh which you know the poses of the world like yes the struggle the aids crisis like all of the homophobia out there which is absolutely important and we should be talking about it heartstopper is based on a webcomic and graphic novel uh by alice oseman and she also wrote it uh, wrote the series and it is maybe one of the most pure beautiful adorable lay there with a big smile on your face as you watch these two little kids in a school fall in love with each other. Yeah. It is a delight with the added bonus of Olivia Coleman being in it for a little bit as one oh. of the character's moms. So nice. high recommend for Heartstopper. Check it out. Based on a comic book, counts as geek content. Go for it. Um, okay. Another one that you might not know, and John, I don't know if you saw this movie, actually. It's an older movie. Okay. Um, but in, in fitting with the theme, it's called Pride. Uh, yes. And it, Came yes. out in 2014. Go ahead. It yeah. is a British uh, mm-hmm. comedy that is based on um, a true story, yep. which it, it depicts a group of lesbian and gay activists who raised money to help families affected by the British miners' strike in yep. 1984. Yep. And it is just a just feel good cry with a smile on your face you take all these gay and lesbian characters who want to raise money for these minors who are very conservative very homophobic and watch these two groups come together and it is a goddamn delight um so high high recommend i i will probably watch it if not this weekend then in the next couple weeks okay um another one that most of you, I'm sure, have watched, but if you haven't, I'm just putting Steven Universe on the list. Um, <laughs> yeah, Steven Universe, Universe is uh-huh. one of the great animated series of all time. Uh, Rebecca Sugar, Cartoon Network. It is queer and beautiful and weird and crazy and awesome. And I'm sure that a lot of you have watched it, but if you have watched it, maybe it's time for a rewatch. And if you haven't watched it, go start at the beginning and just power through it is it is one of like my top five series of all times and the way they handle sort of identity and queerness and what love means is beautiful um and then my last two are uh actually three last three really quick one um another comic book uh, something you pick up to read this is an oldie but a goodie um i know our good friend judd winnick listens to the show sometimes um my friend pedro Judd Winnick was on Real World San Francisco with Pedro Zamora, uh, who is one of the first, uh, at least for me, one of the first major gay characters that I got to watch on TV on a weekly basis, um, who sadly died of AIDS. But 
Judd wrote a comic, I believe in 2000 called My Friend Pedro about his experience on the real world and his friendship with Pedro. And it is still to this day, one of my favorite comics. And when I talk to friends who are not really comic book people who want to get into comics, it's usually one of the things that I give them before a superhero comic, because it's just, it's not about superheroes. It's not about explosions. It's just a really touching story. And uh, because real world San Francisco was such a huge part of my early life as a closeted gay kid, it really means a lot to me. And it's just definitely worth a read. Um, And then the last two, both can be seen currently on Max. Okay. Uh, Harley Quinn and Our Flag Means Death. Oh, yeah. Good choice. Harley Quinn is great. I'm sure a lot of you are already watching it, but Harley and Ivy is a romance for the ages and it is a weird as fuck romance, but it works and it's lovely. And I actually, something that I did the other day, I went back and watched some of the early Batman, the animated series, Harley and Ivy episodes, and then went and watched some Harley Quinn and seeing the development of this relationship over what, 30 years uh, is really something. And then our flag means death is uh, just a fucking wild ride that, when I started it, didn't know. Yeah. We were going full gay. And then we went full gay in the most ridiculous and funny and Taika Waititi could only do this kind of way. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm anxiously awaiting season two and uh, highly recommend season one. There you go. There you go. Um, I can only chime in with, you know, kind of uh, mostly, but I will say this bros. I think people need to rediscover bros. If you haven't seen bros, it's on Peacock. I thought it was fantastic. Really hated it. didn't do well in the box office. And I would just like to say, if you haven't seen it, give it a chance at least to support Pride. What do you got to lose? Watch a couple hours. It's very funny. Eichner is damn it, good. Bros uh, is funny. I'm fairly uh, uh, vilified, unfortunately. Bros is funny. And once you watch it, go watch Fire Island on Hulu. Yeah, <laughs> yes. Fire Island with Bo and Yang. He's in both. He's in both. So fair enough. Um, and then one that, that I think um, uh, that people forgot about from way back in then with Javier Bardem before Nightfalls, I think that's a really powerful oh. one as well that I think people need to watch as well. That I th- That's the film that introduced me to him. And yes, you'll have to deal with Johnny Depp in there for a little bit, but if you have an issue with that. But I think Javier is so incredible in that movie, and I just would highly recommend that for you all if you're going to take a chance on a film like that. And of course... Michael already said in and out, and we should mention, we'd be remiss not to mention for Michael and I, the birdcage, which is. I mean, listen. <laughs> essentially, our I, I just took, I, I think we've talked about this. I just took a bunch of my gay besties from LA, and we all flew to Florida to spend the weekend with my parents in St. Augustine. And the last night that we were there, we all ordered pizza and watched the birdcage. Yeah. And it was still, adult. it's still one of my favorite movies of all time. I still think it is in my top five funniest movies of all time, period. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you get, you get, you get Nathan Lane full on, you get Hank Azaria full on, you get Robin Williams who just seeing any performance of Robin Williams always brings a smile to my face. Like it is a plus. Oh, and uh, yeah, Aisha Kenya, my, the Lady Outlaw would agree with you. She loves Pose. So if you haven't watched Pose, Pose uh, is great. Is Pose series. is super powerful. Yeah. And, you know, Pose is a thing. I think that people don't rem- either either don't remember or don't even know yeah. that so much of what we think of as gay culture today, all of the sachet you stay, yeah, yeah, you know, there's just a level of tens, tens, tens across the board. Like, 
the the trans the gay and trans community particularly the trans community in the 80s in new york with the ballroom scene and everything that happened um you can watch paris is burning which is a documentary that is about the same period of time as pose it's a little bit rougher around the edges because it is real um and pose is uh a little bit more of the um i mean pose is rough as as well but uh pose is the more um scripted version of Paris yeah. is burning, but yeah, it's a, it's a great show as well. Yeah. Agreed. hundred uh, percent. I do want to say uh, one last, uh, we did have one last stream lab, which is uh, kind of uh, leading me into this last thing here that I already had on my list Haskell, but thank you very much for reminding me. Uh, he said, John, for the end of the show, let the viewers know about Robert from late to the party and how he and Vanessa need all the love prayers and support. And if they can, please donate to the GoFundMe and search for late to the party. Yeah. Late to the party is a crew of people, uh, two people who uh, Robert and Vanessa who are fantastic. And when I was, First doing the Schmutton, they were starting out their YouTube channel. They came up to see a few of the shows, and I was very happy to be interviewed by them for some of their content. They were starting out on their YouTube. I think they had like 1,000, 2,000 subscribers, now well over 100,000, very much a big footprint in the YouTube community in terms of the reactions and reviews that they do. But unfortunately, Robert has encountered some pretty serious health issues, and I hope you all are following Robert uh, he's posted a GoFundMe here. He has diverticulosis. He is bleeding out of his body now. It's uh, so, uh, sadly this he, and he posted a very moving uh, tribute to uh, his uh, to Vanessa um, uh, today, saying that if I don't, I'm, I'm being realistic. If I don't make it out of this, um, I just hope Vanessa is okay. And certainly, we will all take care of her as a community. But there is a GoFundMe. He is trying to raise $15,000 for his uh, healthcare stuff. So if you all are fans of Late to the Party, fans of Geek Buddies, check out Robert and Vanessa at LTTP. And look, there's a link there uh, with one of their posts. I will be retweeting it as well on my Twitter uh, for you all if you want to donate and help Robert out and Vanessa out with these medical expenses. Sad thing to have happening right now, but hopefully Robert uh, recovers, stays strong, uh, and uh, does not take a turn for the worst because Robert is one of the best people, one of the brightest lights out there, a guy who always believes in the best of people. And when you see things like this happen to good people, it really is heartbreaking and a sad situation. So uplift him, donate, send him words, tweet at him. He's not responding to everything, obviously, because he's very in pain. But, you know, send him the love, put the energy out there, send your prayers out there. I know he would appreciate it very, very much. So thanks, Haskell, for the reminder as well. I appreciate that. And real quick before we leave, Travis Earl says, what's Vogel's take on the Ethan Hawk Pedro gay cowboy short that's coming out? It looks great. Uh, yeah, I'm super, I'm super intrigued by this one. It looks like a sort of uh, spiritual sequel to Brokeback yes. Mountain. And I'm yes. really curious to see uh, how the take on Western gay tropes has sort of um, matured between okay. Brokeback Mountain and now. <laughs> And I don't, and also Daddy Pedro can do whatever he wants. I'll go see That's Daddy true. Pedro all day long. Oh, like, give true. me more Daddy Pedro. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I love Daddy Pedro or regular Pedro. Uh, all right, well, there we go. Thank you all so much for joining us for this live episode of Geek Buddies here on this Friday. We appreciate it madly. Uh, Michael, please, what do we have to tell them? Well, if you guys would like to follow us and you're not following us yet, what the hell are you doing? But if you'd like to follow us, you could do it on Twitter at geek underscore buddies on Instagram at the underscore geek underscore buddies. If you would like to follow Roca, he is at the Roca says, if you would like to follow me, I am at MK tune. Um, and thank you guys all for joining us. This has been super awesome. It's been a super yeah. fun day. I don't know about you guys, but I love starting my weekend with a little live geek buddies. I love kind of like breaking down things in the week. And so far it has been good for us because it has helped us avoid those breaking spoilers.
spoilers after we air an episode. So <laughs> let's true. hope that trend continues. Um, but if you would like to help us continue to do what we are doing, um, yeah. definitely hit the like button below right now. Take a minute and do that. Subscribe to Johnny's Outlaw Nation page. Check out all the amazing content he's got there. Um, the chat over here was great. Leave yeah. the comments below. Let us know what you think about everything. What are your rankings on the Spider-Man film? What do you think of Across the Spider-Verse? What do you think of the Ninja Turtles movie? What do you think of The Rock? Let us know all about that below. And if you are listening to us on a podcast, go ahead and leave us some comments and stars to help us go up in the rankings so more people can find us. And as always, the best thing that you can do is retweet this video, post it on your socials, send it to your friends, and tell them to hang out with your buddies, the Geek Buddies. There you go. We appreciate it. Again, you all hanging out with us, the lively chat and everything involved in that. Our friend Shannon McClung, of course, our fellow Geek Buddy, could not join us because he's out on vacation with his wife. So more power to Shannon. Enjoy it. He's down here in San Diego. So maybe... What's that? He's ma- he's ma- he's making up for all of those uh, she's my assistant cracks that he made in the last episode. Yes, <laughs> he, he is. I'm surprised she didn't drag him behind the car to down to San Diego. But yes, he's making up for it for sure. Uh, and we'll probably be hooking up at some point uh, over the weekend, and we'll take pictures and put it up on our accounts. But yeah, give him some love as well, and uh, we will talk to you next time with another brand new live episode or regular episode here of the Geek Buddies. Every five minutes, a transplant candidate dies while waiting for a compatible heart, liver, or kidney. Imagine a technology that could provide those life-saving transplant organs for a high price and imagine what a company would do to monopolize that technology. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists unlocks this holy grail of medicine by reverse engineering the genomes of all mammals, creating an animal with organs perfectly suitable for human transplantation. They envisioned a docile herd animal, but one team member had another, darker vision. This ancestor is anything but docile. The team's work spawns something big, something evil, something very, very hungry. Ancestor is a complete serialized fiction podcast by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler with all episodes available. Binge the entire story now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.